him. That's strange. I certainly would have. I see Jason yeah. and Suzanne and John, John Madison. I clicked on you, but it still shows you with your hand raised, which means you might need to pop out and back in. Mm-hmm. That usually fixes it. Mm-hmm. And welcome back, everybody. Um, let's get into all of the top headlines. Anyone burning with a really super special hot one? Well, Tyler, the only thing I, I... I would bring up is because it's just breaking news. I think I, I tweeted out the Los Angeles Times article on it, but it's also on in the Wall Street Journal that the federal United States government, their national uh, highway safety uh, organization, whatever it's called, is investigating Tesla um, because of reports that its autopilot cannot detect emergency vehicles or there's been incidents where it fails to te- detect emergency vehicles, you know, with the with the lights flashing and, you know, yep. and so I've got the article right here. It says U.S. government opens probe into Tesla autopilot crashes with emergency vehicles. Um, well, if there's any, if you are going to crash into something, an ambulance would be the safest thing to crash into, assuming you don't ruin it and it can take you to the hospital. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has opened a probe into Tesla's autopilot software, citing the cars' the cars's repeated collisions with parked emergency vehicles. That is truly ironic. Um, the investigation will cover Tesla models Y, X, S, and 3 vehicles released from 2014 through 2021. The federal agency says since 2018 and has logged 11 incidences. Holy shit, this is weird. Which includes 17 injuries and one fatality in which Tesla vehicles using the company's autopilot features have crashed into stationary emergency vehicles. You know, ambulances. (laughs) The agency says most of these incidences took place after dark with the software ignoring scene control measures, including warning lights, flares, cones, and illuminated arrow boards. This is getting really weird. That's a whole lot of warnings. That's like, you don't, you don't it miss almost that. Seem, it almost seems deliberate. I mean, yeah. I know that sounds tinfoil Like they were hash. hacked or something. Yeah, that seems really bizarre. Like, there's nothing more obvious than an ambient, you, you know, the <laughs> flares and... All of the lights and sirens and all that stuff. There could be fire trucks and some other things. That, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's the most obvious stuff on the they road. Have those, they have those giant chevrons on the back of them. Yeah, the a spokesperson, the investigative stage, it's in the preliminary stages and primarily concerned with uncovering additional information about the incidences. The spokesperson noted that the public should be aware that no commercially available cars are able to drive themselves and vehicles always require a human in control at all times, etc., etc. So more to be continued. Unfortunately, there's not yet a comment from Tesla, but I imagine they're, it's bound to come up. Someone is bound to ask uh, Elon that in in all of the upcoming interviews that he does, right? So no doubt, well, he, as he's known to do, he'll likely jump on Twitter uh, preemptively whenever he's got an official comment to make about that. But I'm tweeting the article out. And thank you, Ken, for that one. That that is truly wild. Tyler, can you try try John Madison? Yeah, yeah. I even I did already, and I told John that. Yeah, 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 they went out and come in again. Yeah, I think. They went out and came in, and yeah. Yeah, and welcome back, Monica. Is it... um, Monica. Are we up to 23 yet or not? That's the big question everyone wants to know. Hey Tyler, we were up to twenty three last week. Now oh we my god! 
Get with the program, Tyler. Oh my God! And now we're now we're counting IPOs. As... Absolutely, one was announced on Friday. Jesus, my God, <gasps> India, the unicorns! If you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the relentless epidemic of unicorns being born up in and around the India region of planet Earth, where uh, there's there's a whole lot of out of control Indian uh, 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 unicorns being born. Decacon too. Yeah, they they got a couple decacorns and a whole lot of IPOs coming up. Truly unprecedented, and it even has the prime minister last week even uh, spoke very highly of how it is a you know reflects the the new the new modern face of India. As a, as I agree, it does. It's just it's uncommon for prime ministers to to recognize it as such. And I actually, as much as we might give Modi a whole bunch of shit at times, I gotta applaud his uh, recognition of the Indian unicorns, which I think are absolutely key to um, keeping the, you know, the, the future of India exciting. And um, I certainly, certainly changes my whole impression of India. Uh, and I imagine it does for any anyone else who understands what, you know, uh, that many unicorns in that short amount of time is just really unprecedented. So, I mean, even across even even across Europe, I mean, even if we took Europe as you know a singular kind of state entity, it would it's still a lot for it's more than even Europe has done in twenty. I don't think we've had twenty two new European, although maybe we did because Sweden alone, as Johan knows and Swedbliss might know, Sweden this year has done about nine. So we're we're at about half, uh, you know, a little less than half of what India has done, and we only have, you know, ten million people. So uh, on a percentage basis, we're still doing okay on a per population basis. You want? I think it's also because of their culture, right? They are very hungry and very driven, and I also heard that many of them have left Silicon Valley to go back into India to do unicorns. Well, they they embrace tech, that's for sure. And I mean, when you go, I've said this before, I've said it a number of times. But when you go to actual Silicon Valley, which is, you know, Sunnyvale, Mountain View, right? And, you know, Los Gatos. You know, when you get into actual Sil- Silicon Valley proper uh, and you go to the campuses, if, when you have friends that work there. And by the way, Sid still owes me the world's best pizza over there at the Apple campus. I'm not going to let him off the hook for that. He claims Apple has the best pizza you'll ever have. I find that very hard to believe. But... When you do visit your friends for lunch at Google and Yahoo and Amazon, not, well, LinkedIn or Intel, as I've done many times, um, you will be, the first thing you'll say to yourself is, holy cow, am I in India? That, honest to God, that's the first thought that comes to your mind because those campuses are crawling with folks from India and China. And in a way that really catches you off guard, like you, you're just not prepared for it. And it's... Uh, um, you know, and then you go to Fremont, you know, which is where most of the folks who work in Silicon Valley live because, you know, you have these mega campuses all over Sunnyvale and Mountain View. And then you you realize that they all live just across the, the, the bottom of the, the the bay there, the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont. And when you get to Fremont and we were happy that we even had what was it? The deputy mayor of Fremont jumped in here one time. And uh, lovely, smart guy as he is and rated amongst, you know, one of the best cities in America in terms of, you know, growth on many metrics. 
and uh, lovely city absolutely lovely place and i've spent many a weekends there as my uh, former partner who who herself is of a chinese family who is an engineer at intel and so i used to spend most of my weekends there and it's uh, a lovely lovely town of fremont and that town is nearly entirely a mix a beautiful blend of chinese and indian living very peacefully you know all together in one little town there which i have to say wouldn't it, wouldn't that be nice if that was the case you know along the himalayas where you know in, india and china have a lot of friction with each other and um but not in fremont i mean it's you know it's uh, it's a beautiful scene there anyway i'm, the I'm getting off track pot. yeah i think the chime in with this with the tesla hitting uh, emergency vehicles in Europe, all emergency vehicles and all vehicles that are working on the road are required to have a, a special pattern called Battenberg. The Battenberg pattern is required by all emergency vehicles in the whole of Europe to have. And these are the, the large colored fields that on the police cars, they are green. And and, uh, and no, they are on the ambulances. They are green and, and yellow. On the police, they are blue and uh, red, etc., etc. And the blue or yellow. And the thing is that this is a patented uh, pattern that you actually have to have on your emergency vehicle. And since I've been working with a large uh, truck company in Sweden, where we actually have cameras uh, in the front of the truck, I'm going to guess Ganya. Yeah, it is. It, it, no, <laughs> well, since I'm in Gothenburg, and the thing is that uh, so, so if it detects in your line a, a still standing Battenberg pattern, uh, the truck will give you a very very audible signal because this with hitting the TMA trucks. TMA is these trucks that they put up before uh, road construction work. They are also required to have this specific pattern on the rear and the side and the front of the car or the truck so that the cameras, at least in the Swedish, I only know of Volvo, both the cars and the trucks and the buses surveillance system, they detect this pattern and react very, very audibly when it detects it in your lane. So uh, this is something that I know after seeing quite a few uh, American movies that you don't have these patterns on your cars uh, the police cars are usually just white with a logo on the door, more or less, and standing cherry for something like that. So this might be something for for both the whole country as well as Tesla to actually acknowledge. You want them? Thank you, Johan. Uh, you, we, we do have those. Um, what we call them chevrons. I don't know about the the trade name, but it's a V pattern, correct, Johan? Like a V pattern of alternating no, reflective but, colors, it, or. It, 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 yeah, if you if you look up Battenberg pattern, you will see it's it's square boxes in, in a, a, a myriad of different combinations: green and yellow for ambulances, blue and yellow for for police in some countries, blue and orange in other ones. Road construction vehicles in Sweden is blue and yellow. No, blue and orange. Sorry, I mixed them up. Uh, but but the, this the, pat, the Battenberg pattern is a high visibility thing that is done for computers and people to react to. But Chris is right. We have a pattern too here. It might not be the one you're talking about in mm -hmm. Europe, but we have them on, on, on emergency vehicles. Yeah, which makes it very peculiar indeed. So thank you once again to Ken for 
that very interesting first article. Tyler, just a quick, quick thought. Yes. You know, a couple of, couple of years back, hmm? uh, all the big tech companies were uh, located in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. We had plans to build an extended arm of tech companies in Afghanistan and look at where we have come now. Do you, do you happen to know which companies were there? Yeah, Google, Microsoft, they had their offices, uh, small offices. Really? And, uh, uh, um, and also uh, General Dynamics, uh, Honeywell, uh, TCS, a lot of Indian small companies. They, they, they had, uh, yeah, they had the plans. And why not? Yeah. Kabul, Kabul. It, That's really interesting. All of, yeah, all of Kabul infra was built by, actually, it, it was positively built by India. Uh, uh, and the plan was to also have this, uh, uh, the connection, the Middle East connection. It was uh, sort of an alternate to BRI project. It's it's quite long thought, like from India to Af- Iran, uh, Afghanistan, and then Central Asia. Yeah. i got to be honest, that's the first I've heard of that. I'm quite, I'm quite surprised. Oh, I just realized there's a google.com.af website. Okay. There's Microsoft, all of this. I wonder what kind, what Google has, you know, campuses, many have offices pretty much everywhere. <clears throat> so I'm curious. And in, in the different locations, they focus on different things. So you have the Google Maps team is quite strong in Tokyo, for example, where they're doing all of the AR additions that the AR, the Google Map team is working on is coming out of um, Tokyo. And then there's, you know, Google Photos is very strong out of the Venice Beach office, for example. And then you've got, you know, um, but they they spread out all over. But different areas tend to have uh, some types of emphasis. So I would, I'm really curious to know what kind of emphasis they had in Kabul for the Google office there. Uh, mainly outsourcing, but yeah, there are others. Okay. So the first uh, headline of the day, going back to our kind of traditional... Um, yeah, and uh, Johan just sent me the Battenberg markings of the emergency vehicles for for at least Sweden, but it seems like it's kind of a European standard. Is uh, looks very very similar to the uh, what's oh, it's for Europe, um, and it looks very very similar to what we have in America. But there's is more of a, the European one is more of a checkerboard where the European one is more of these diagonal um, lines that form Vs kind of all over the ve- the back of the vehicle. So uh, thank you for that, Johan. And the first biggest story at this very moment, happy Monday, August 16th, is that T-Mobile's investigating claims that hackers stole data from its servers, including phone numbers, names, social security numbers, and driver's license info, Pretty much everything except your uh, your tax records, which in America would be impossible to find anyways. That's only the IRS has those. But that, that's about all any one company could have of an American is their phone, their social security, and their driver's license. Other, Yeah, maybe a bank account number is the only thing they don't seem to have. Um, uh, related to one hundred more than 100 million customers which I have to imagine is all of T-Mobile's customers because T-Mobile is one of the big three or four American telecom mobile companies. And there's only 350 million Americans, so they probably have about 100 million users. And so uh, if they're hacked for 100 million, that's pretty much all of them. 
hackers selling the data are claiming it affects 100 million users and are selling it uh, on you know the dark web as hackers are known to do, where they exchange and sell data. T-Mobile is saying uh, they're investigating it, which no doubt they are, but it seems um, that it's quite verified in, in, in from the hacker perspective. I mean, they're they're selling it for God's sake. So, um, yeah, to to be determined. Do, do you want to have a link to it? Yeah, you absolutely would love to. And when we brought this up when we met. You know, we meet twice a day, as most of you know, if you don't click on the title of the room to see our schedule. And when we spoke of it, when we met last, I said, well, I'm looking forward to Johan joining us in the next session as he is now here, as predicted. And uh, and I knew you would have some addition, <laughs> additional color to add to this story. So uh, the thing is here that with 100 million, this is probably one of the largest uh, leaks that uh, have hit the market ever. Yeah, uh, the, 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 there are not many platforms that you ca- could actually get hand on so many different people's uh, right. uh, different uh, credentials, etc. Yeah, uh, the leak that they only is similar is the LinkedIn one when they blow that into pieces about five years ago. But then they didn't have all these sensitive information. They only had the mail and perhaps if you have had a good phone number. But this is this is really remarkable. Yeah, and if uh, I if I remember correctly, LinkedIn had to pay a settlement uh, for that, like there was a class action suit or whatnot. So, I yeah, imagine... a large one. And they were they were also they tried to 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 to, to put a, 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 an arrow on the bowstring in Europe to go after them here also. But they thought, no, it's an American company. You need to, a company. You need to take it to the states if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. But but with the GDP are now in place and working, they will would have been killed probably. Right. Can you oh, say? A story on that. Apparently, I guess T-Mobile has already pay, basically paid the ransom to, you know, whoever had done the hack mm. to, you know, cure it. But I, I also think that as a result of this, you should see, doesn't mean it will happen, some sort of reform. They shouldn't have had to have social security numbers. And the only reason they would have social security numbers is because they were running credit checks for, you know, for postpaid plans. And I think the when you balance out the risk of them having the social security numbers versus them taking some credit risk, I think there's probably going to be a reform where you're just not going to be able to run a credit check using a social security number because you can't trust them with a social security number. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to lean harder on these um, services like Klarna and the Bill Me Now, Bill Me Later. I mean, that's going to probably be crucial to the future of um, ongoing uh, lending. Um, at least for non, you know, non-large assets, you know, meaning home, car. I mean, I think the small stuff, there's no reason they need your social security number to loan you a uh, $1,000 phone. They also have the, your phone, your, every phone has a unique IMEI device number, which they also oh, have. Oh, yeah. That's also part of the league. That's huge. That is, pre- that changes the game a little bit. So... Um, they now know the identities of every device uh, behind it. That's kind of wild. So um, there's somebody tweeted, I love T-Mobile service, but this looks like a pretty big deal. Data protection strategies have to include heavy scrutiny of what data is being stored and where. 
do S social security numbers and driver's license information all need online access? And for those who don't, for the Europeans, they might be a little confused because in Sweden, your, 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 your personal number, as it's called in Sweden, is essentially public. I mean, loosely public. They're, they don't protect it. And it's not like this sacred, never show even your mom type number like it is with social security numbers in the U.S., so, you know, um, having your social security numbers leaked as part of your address and your name. And the scary part is even if T-Mobile acquires this data back, it still exists in a database somewhere that, for example, the hacker, of course, is going to say, OK, here it is all back safe and sound. And thank you for the, you know, 50 million dollars or whatever the ransom is. However, if they keep a copy of that data and use it as a cross-reference database in the future, it, it continues to be incredibly valuable for the foreseeable future because you now have a, you know, a third of Americans with their social security numbers tied to their IMEI numbers, tied to their addresses. That's just insanely valuable cross-reference database for hackers. Yeah, the thing is here that there is already leaks from this data pool. Uh, among things, you can buy your social security number and the phone number for Sandra Bullocks or whatever you're looking for. All the customers, all the VIP that use T-Mobile, they have they have their information. Uh, uh, there are rumors that there are a couple of porn stars that actually have had their numbers leaked this way already. And this is not old data at all. I didn't peg you for a Sandra Bullock fan, Johan, but uh, that was, that was, that that was, was going to say. <laughs> so, um, remember, very quickly, one of the stories that came out is that apparently they're only asking $260,000 ransom, not $50 million. It's what? amazing. That, yeah, there's a story. No, no, they are selling the complete database for $250,000. That's the link I have. Yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, it's not a six ransom. bitcoin. You can you can you can buy the complete lot for for a quarter of a million uh, dollars, uh, and you, and people have already been doing this, and they That's are a now good deal. selling. Anyone want to chip in and get this database? Yeah, I was gonna say, let's do deal. that. <laughs> hundred million email list for two hundred and fifty thousand. That's a great deal. <laughs> Not a, not, not just an email that. list. It's an SMS list. I can start MM, SMS spamming all these people with their first names, with and their S and their social security numbers, so I know their credit scores. I can sell all kinds of products to these people directly to their SMS. Yeah, and I have a, a couple of hundred different scam schemes and, and scripts we can use. So give me the list, pay it up, and I will. Help yeah, you that's to that's a hell of a deal. Of Jesus, wow! What does that come out to per? Per email, per SMS number, <clears throat> that's a that's cheap. That's uh, that this that, yeah, that's a rounding 50, error. Fifty cents each or something like that. I'm wondering. Well, not even that. Not even that. It's not uh, even five that. Cents we each. we got a thousand dollars a person in this room. We could get this covered today. Listen, who's in? Uh, so the it may. I mean, with all due respect, it makes me seem like this must be uh, Belarus uh, from Moldova. Um, because being one of the cheapest places on the planet to live, it seems like somebody who doesn't quite understand the value of this data, who lives in a rather, um, not, not somebody from Manhattan, I can assure you of that, or Tokyo or Hong Kong. 
where they would have for yeah, sure. But imagine this now: if hmm. if you put this up and sell for two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, fifteen times, uh, versus the focus you get if you get fifty million dollars for one time, uh, it's quite easier to to manage. And the thing is, you we give fifteen different wallet wallets to to pay to for these ones. So even if the the whoever tracks them down and blocks one of your account, you still will have 14 or 12 of them left to work with. So, so I can see that it's a smarter affair to actually go for less money and sell them more. I did the numbers. It's $0.0025 per name. So that's two and a half cents. There we go. Okay. I think Google will buy this. I, yeah. to, <laughs> I think I a, lot of, a lot of ad networks are going to buy it. Well, by the way, Tony, so there's also a possibility that this this is just a hacker's claim and it's not true. And then that's why the price is low. So we can sell multiple numbers of this to people who think it's a great deal. And, and then you're selling them something that's really not worth anything. Now, but, now this raises the question, who will be the first hacker to put their findings on an NFT? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, license it out. And so you can have, you know, to the top 10 bidders each get, you know, different levels of permission, you know, really start using this NFT thing to its full capabilities. So the next big there, headline. There, there's actually a meta link yeah, that I just found that probably leads to this one. Send it, so DM it, it to me, Johan. I don't know if I want to be part of that chain. Sorry, okay. Sir. All right. No problem. So the next one is uh, from our very favorite uh, friends at Bloomberg, which a lot of people reporting this one that Google and Facebook, you've heard of these companies. They're big tech companies. You may have heard of them. Google and Facebook say they will participate in a subsea cable system linking Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, Guam, the Philippines, and Indonesia, uh, launching in 2024. And as I've said, more and more of these big, important uh, internet and in, you know infrastructure cables are being done by the big tech companies. Obviously, that wasn't always the case because these companies are relatively new. To, you know, um, Facebook, for example, you know, so 2000, you know, what, uh, you know, only in the past 20 years. So, but the fact that they are really starting to, you know, disproportionately be adding all of this new infrastructure that is critical to the Internet. When I when I make this kind of half joking comment about the power of these companies versus these governments. That's a that's that's South that's Asia. I mean, with the exception of China. So I mean, I, I didn't mention Vietnam, but um, Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, Guam, Philippines, Indonesia. Pff, holy shit, that's a, a huge chunk of Asia, uh, uh, excluding China. So <clears throat> I, you know, I have to wonder how that would impact, for example, Twitter's, or, or let's use let's use Facebook's. Um, had a little bit of friction with India a few months ago around WhatsApp. If Facebook was providing much of the internet cabling to India, would that have changed those negotiations? And that's why I bring this up, and especially when they start doing the satellite connection as well. And when they start getting into medtech and edtech and fintech and e-commerce, when 
the the future of commerce starts happening inside of Facebook, which we know that's going to happen in the very near future. It's already happening. I mean, Lakeisha and I can tell you a real big percentage of commerce is starting to happen through Facebook in Thailand specifically. So this becomes, um, it's starting to become key, key, key infrastructure, like un unremovable level of uh, infrastructure inside of the economies of these countries. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're beheld to, you know, Facebook and Google for their infrastructure and the amount of, you know, uh, relevance to your economy. It makes it quite uh, a political power uh, in your own territories is quite an interesting point. So, um, yeah, other everyone else is reporting this as well. Reuters says Facebook and Amazon ask the ask the FCC, uh, the Federal Communications, uh, uh, for approval for a new undersea data cable between Philippines and California. So clearly, it's coming from that makes sense that this undersea cable would originate in California, probably from the Bay Area. <laughs> if I if I had to take a wild guess, where the cable originates uh, in with Facebook and Google. And Facebook and China Mobile and MTN Group plan to expand an undersea cable network in Africa, adding the Seashells, Comoros, Angola, and Nigeria, and 35 landings. So again, another Facebook um, infrastructure cable for Africa. And so you, now you've got Asia and Africa. It's, it's getting really interesting. And there's, there will potentially be, down the road, someday, a, a political element to that that kind of def definitely entrenches somebody i mean um I, I wonder to what degree could google it certainly helps google it definitely makes uh, and i w i would love to have a sys admin who un knows this maybe we could ping somebody in or if someone in the audience happens to have a really strong background on this point would clearly this is of a benefit to google in terms of its speed uh, between uh, of Google's services and products uh, in those areas where they lay this capability, this structure, infrastructure, versus their competitors. So we, we have to imagine there's uh, an inherent benefit for them doing this, obviously, or they wouldn't do it. So um, it'd, be curious, it'd be really interesting to know what kind of benefits they get from doing this. Uh, in addition, yeah, that's yeah. all I was going to say. The other thing for Africa, it's really important because you've had pretty monopolistic uh, price gouging by the uh, older undersea cable companies, uh, which really affects the landlocked African countries, uh, you know, like Zambia, Malawi, and they have some high data costs. And so Mali, I think yeah. uh, this will be interesting when they start to maybe start expanding, you know, Google, I, you know, like encouraging more ISPs to come into the game and connect with their cables that will help lower the cost of Internet in Africa, which is still very expensive, by the way. Uh, it's, it's the most expensive in the world, you know, um, you know, um, yeah. so, so I think this is encouraging for that reason. Uh, if they kind of make sure that they that more ISPs are encouraged to uh, to to um, to connect and yeah. uh, it helps lower the overall uh, backhaul pricing, this will be really good for Africa. Yeah. And there's another um, example there where Facebook in Asia, for example, they've long been doing it in Indonesia and the Philippines, very notably, where. They subsidize and make Facebook data free. So um, people get phones 
And you and in Myanmar as well was a place where largely the Internet was Facebook because you could use Facebook for free and everything else you had to pay for. And in Myanmar, they don't have a, a lot of discretionary income to pay on Internet data where it's not necessarily that cheap. And um, so but using Facebook data for free, they come up with all kinds of really interesting ways to use Facebook <laughs> when it's the kind of the only, you know, uh, uh, easy means so you know they start using it for all kinds of stuff and it, bec it becomes for them the internet it, very little very literally so um they even in some places uh indonesia like people uh stay you know are in facebook so long that after you know growing up with it they just think of it as the internet and and you'll hear indonesians even comp you know refer to it in that way you were gonna say chris I think that, you know, when you think about it, the Philippines is in the southern hemisphere. Um, it's in Southeast Asia. Um, if satellites are going to be a thing, they're going to need some kind of source for the backhaul for these satellites mm -hmm. that are in the southern hemisphere. So this also may be a play, too, because the Philippines would provide them a site to provide their, um, you know, the, the main line to the Internet for the satellites. So I don't know if how much that comes into play, but that's kind of my two cents. Okay. And then actually the third biggest story is the Tesla story that um, Ken shared at the top uh, about the formal investigation into Tesla's autopilot, which is covering 765,000 vehicles, saying it has trouble spotting parked emergency vehicles. And then the fourth biggest story is from the Wall Street Journal. The headline says, a look at chip makers race to capitalize on wave of subsidies as U.S. and other Western countries reassess their industrial policies to slow China's rise. From the Wall Street Journal, U.S. semiconductor makers appeal uh, for subsidy plays on national security fears during chip shortage. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And what they're saying essentially is Intel and everyone is saying, hey, Uncle Sam, uh, wake wake the F up and give us billions of dollars to uh, domesticate all of our chip production because we don't want to have any kind of um, potential uh, friction with anybody else. We want to domesticate this, own, own this top to bottom, left, right, and back to front because with it coming from Taiwan as it is, as much as, you know, TSMC has shown itself to be a, a, a real you know, friend and, and, a, and a fantastic company in every regard. It, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's a, comes with a bit of uh, anxiety. So wouldn't it be lovely to have this all internalized? So of course, Intel and all of the American companies are asking uh, and kind of, you know, asking for the big subsidies, you know, which means government handout money, essentially. And the government understands the, the importance of it. And it seems like they are, playing ball and the other point is there's other there's a really interesting other one tsmc is a really interesting company in, in itself and there's another one in the netherlands which is essentially the company that makes the tool that makes it possible to make the semiconductors this amazing lens company asml which uh, if you don't have their machines, you're not going to be able to make the machines necessary to make the uh, top of the line semiconductors. And America's trying to monopolize and, and 
the relationship with that company out of the Netherlands so that basically no one else will be able to do it, although no doubt they'll let their allies in the UK and Germany and Japan and others, but the idea is to keep it all out of the hands of the Chinese. So the a related story from South China Morning Post, which is directly connected to this Wall Street Journal article, and South China Morning Post is from China, as the name kind of implies, uh, and their headline today reads, uh, Chinese government says integrated circuit out Put rose 47% in the past year to 203 billion units in the in the year up till July as new capacities added to meet semiconductor demand. Okay, that's that's groovy. And and the going back to the Wall Street Journal article, the headline says Intel CEO pitches pricey chip plants to officials at home and abroad. US semiconductor makers appeal for subsidies um, on national security fears during chip shortage um so that all it all is quite easy big 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 points but very important points with this global chip race going on and it's become a very geopolitical issue and we're trying to block i mean just to be really blunt about it america's trying to block china from getting um better at chips i mean it's as simple as that and they're really trying to domesticate all the chips and by the way Hold on to that idea. Hold on to that point that I'm making right there because it will come into play um, in about 20 minutes in a very big way that the U.S. is very strongly wanting to domesticate all of its chips. And there's a whole separate point, by the way, related to Afghanistan. Believe it or not, this comes back to Afghanistan and why we left Afghanistan, believe it or not. And I will explain that connection when we get to the Afghanistan headline that I know we have coming up in about 20 minutes. But in the meantime, the fourth biggest story or fifth biggest story is that the information, which does a lot of investigative journalism, says they have sources. um, And the sources are saying, seeking greater control, the Chinese government took a stake and a board seat in TikTok in April. And more specifically, in their parent company, which is called ByteDance. For months, China has sought to bring its bustling internet sector. Uh, to heal with an intensifying series of antitrust crackdowns and data security probes. And from um, in one example that hasn't been previously reported, the Chinese government in April quietly took a stake, meaning own, part ownership, um, a, and a board seat in TikTok owner ByteDance key Chinese entity, according to corporate records and people with knowledge of the matter. The move gives Beijing more insight into the inner workings of ByteDance, the world's most valuable privately held tech company, which owns some of the most popular apps in China, such as Douyin and uh, um, Tiao, <laughs> along with TikTok. The government's rise to one seat on a three-person board. Holy shit, that's a very small board. At Beijing ByteDance, uh, which holds Chinese Business licenses related to Douyin and Tuta raises questions about how much more influence Beijing can exert over TikTok. And now that that information is now released, and they're saying nobody knew this until we just, they say they have the exclusive on this. So that means that the New York, the journalists and editors at the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and Washington Post and everybody else are now going to work to try and um, verify this exclusive revelation from the information, which I will tweet out to you now for your convenience. 
And if confirmed to be true, um, the American government is likely to ban TikTok. You heard that here first because it's it was already concerning enough that the TikTok might be um, providing information to the CCP, and this just makes it too obvious to ignore. So um, if there was if they were looking for a reason, uh, they certainly have one now. Um, so we, we'll see I, how that shakes out. I hate to I hate to stir the pot, but it looks like maybe a former unpopular president may have been right about TikTok. Well, um, but by the way, there were TikTok. Um, America has TikTok has a uh, an American arm, like TikTok US, where they had a, a you know a CEO from Disney, and to try and keep it alive when when Trump was trying to force it to sell itself to an, to Oracle, strangely, which is a friend of Trump's, by the way, Larry Ellison. So anyway, it gets very interesting. That guy left, Tyler. The guy from Disney left. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from Disney left. That's true. Yes, I, I was going to get to that. But the the point is that many of the American team members said, uh, and somebody inter. This kind of journalism happens all the time, where you interview former you know, team members at Apple to find out what's really going on at Apple. Well, in this case, they interviewed former team members at TikTok US and they said Beijing's running the show. Like there's no real wall of, you know, veil of separation between TikTok Beijing HQ and the US. Like they even forced us to kind of work Beijing hours to give you some kind of indication as to how much Beijing's running the show. So that doesn't help. But this revelation, um, that uh, of the information's headline saying they have the exclusive that Beijing now has the CCP has one of the three board seats of the company. One out of three. Um, that I mean, they just politically could control it uh, just on the votes and all that. I mean, it was also an interesting related headline a week or two ago, about a week ago, was that the CCP's ministry around art. And literature and culture uh, came out to say, we now want to have more influence in um, the algorithms of the social media networks because we want people to be exposed to better content to kind of simplify their point and to be kind of gracious in their point. And that they felt, you know, uh, we need to raise the bar on the type of the 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 type of content that people are consuming because we don't want this kind of lowest common denominator crap content. This is really their own words was, you know, and they specifically called out um, um, celebrity gossip type content, which people were getting a, a little too interested in, in mainland China. And they didn't like that at all. And they felt people were getting a little too interested in kind of this senseless kind of uh, what, what were the, vulgar, kind of dancing, which we have to assume they're referring to twerking or something along those lines. So the vulgar content, they don't want to see so much of that being emphasized by the algorithms of the social media platforms in, in mainland China. They specifically want more Marxist uh, critical theory and literature uh, being consumed. And this is, you think this sounds crazy, but even since that though, that headline came out last week from from the ministry itself, I mean, they were they provided a quote in. The, I mean, we're quoting them from their own government agencies here. And then there was another headline just in the past three or four days. Was there not, Cheryl, that 
that students going back to school this year will no longer have an emphasis on English, but rather an emphasis on quotes of the CCP chairman Mao, uh, Chairman uh, Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping quotes. Right. Yeah, his like top, uh, you know, blockbuster quotes are now going to be memorized by students. Deep thoughts by、G、Jack Handy. <laughs> Uncle G's deep thoughts.、Um, hey Tyler. Yes. I just want to add that you know someone did comment and say, well, the prior president was correct on this, but I want folks to know that the current president is aware too, and so if you paid attention to. When the current president came in and、uh, repealed executive orders from the prior one, the changes that he made regarding this social media was just to tone down the language that kind of made Americans judge the Chinese people as a whole, and that's all that changed. And so I don't want people to think like there's a political difference to how it's been handled. Because it seems as if both are still aware, and I only know this because I went and actually read the language as it was revised for that executive order. Thank you for that.、Um, so the next big headline at this moment is、uh, a it's a blog post, a Q and A interview with、um, the、uh, the person at Apple who's kind of steering this whole new、um, child safety photo scanning. Um, issue that's got all the geeks <laughs> all riled up, and、um, and by the way, there's another interesting article coming up in 20 minutes、um, on a separate but interesting new a、uh, angle on it,、um, which I will try. I'll try and find for you right now. But it, this article I'm tweeting out, it's basically an interview with、uh, Alex Stamos on this、uh, Apple's proposed child safety feature. It's not proposed; it's baked into the operating system that's coming out in two weeks. So there's no stopping that train. Actually,、the、new operating system coming out from Apple. The iOS、uh, iOS 15. Everyone's pictures for child pornography. Yeah, child abuse. They're calling it, but <laughs> the. The point is, is that's not something they could just. You have a lot of children on your phone, so and and in the. None of it is you hitting a kid. Yeah, you're you're quite you soft on your、pressure. mic, David. Oh, 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 no, no, that's good. It's、oh, I, my my wife runs a childcare. Oh, okay. Oh, you're explaining. Okay, got it. Yeah,、okay. yeah, because you take pictures. You want to share pictures. Yeah. We don't we don't do any of that. It's kind of a tongue in cheek kind of like, oh God, you know. Yeah. Here we here we go. Hold、so. on, I, I really want to find this.、Um, Sorry、LGBT. about that. <laughs> Wife. But, um, um, yeah. So hang on. This, this had real real implications. I'll I'll let Mike. Sorry. So check this out. Here's a related headline from Wired. And Wired is one of the few publications where they actually have legit geeks writing the articles over there, and always have. You know, started by Kevin Kelly, and so Wired. You know, I always it's one of my favorite tech publications, as as it is for every geek I know. And their headline is related. It says Apple and Google still have an LGBTQ problem, which just on the face of the headline seems a little odd because.、Uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook is、uh, part of the LGBTQ community himself, so I don't know they have that big of a problem. But their point is that Apple and Google still have the、uh, the problem. Silicon Valley should get out of the business of regulating sexually explicit material. Its actions against not safe for work material put marginalized groups at even more risk, and the LGBT community is concerned that. 
their content is likely to be next in this scanning process, which given given maybe they're not aware, maybe a lot of them are not aware that Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple and that he's part of their community. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure that's uh, uh, in, incredible, you know, given that um, that 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 fact, I'm, I'm hope, hopefully that isn't hopefully their fears are uh, hopefully misplaced. Um, you know, um, and, and hopefully that gives them some kind of um, comfort in, in that fact. So, but Google, I, I don't know that they, there's certainly a point there, which is, um, you know, when, once the tech platforms start looking for um, sexually uh, um, um, explicit materials, as they say, they rightfully get a little bit anxious. So um, it's an interesting point that, uh, you know, we had not considered thus far. So anyway, the the next biggest headline is um, in, from the Wall Street Journal and others uh, are reporting in a new lawsuit, a U.S. based company uh, is claiming that Huawei stole their tech and pressured them to build a backdoor into their own um, architecture. Into, sens- uh, into a sensitive surveillance project in Pakistan. And we actually read this one yesterday, but it's this one's so big that it took the mainstream media an extra day to kind of understand the importance of this. It's tremendous. This is really huge. And the timing of it is also really peculiar because this is like an incredibly damning, um, kind of jaw-dropping... Um, uh, um, you know, claims against Huawei that um, Huawei came, basically Huawei, let's put it this way, China and Pakistan are very economically um, close uh, with the Belt and Road Initiative, where it's one of China's biggest investments globally is in Pakistan, because they happen to be uh, China's bordering country that allows them to get via land to the Persian Gulf, which is going to become incredibly important for China in uh, the near future when they're no longer going to be able to uh, move all of the Persian Gulf um, oil via the oceans to China as they do today. And they're not going to be able to do that because America is going to withdraw the protection of our uh, Navy <laughs> on the deep blue seas, which is currently what affords them the ability to do that. And you heard that here first, if you haven't heard that before. And it's also related to why they're pulling out of Afghanistan and everything else. So America's withdrawing and um, that's going to leave China incredibly vulnerable to get the incredible amounts of energy it needs from the Persian Gulf which they currently do through uh, oil tankers. Uh, about half of their energy comes that way. And that means there are going to be really, really, really in a tight spot um, to try and um, move those oil tankers past 12 countries who hate them, in- including one named India, who now has an aircraft carrier they just launched last week. Um, Oh, good luck moving. It's a second, it's a second aircraft carrier. Okay, thank but, you uh, for that, Armish. My, my point, though, is, is that the reason China is so in heavily invested in Pakistan is because it's right through China's back door, uh, kind of just below Xinjiang and Tibet, connects oh, through the Himalayas with Pakistan, and that gives them a land route to 
the Persian Gulf, essentially, right to the doorstep of the Persian Gulf. So they no longer have to, uh, so they can build a pipeline, which they have uh, are no doubt doing. So that that's why you have to understand the fundamental importance of Pakistan. And now you know why Huawei, it, how that relates to this story that I'm reading about Huawei screwing this American tech company over uh, selling the technology to um, Pakistan. So what happened is Pakistan sends out a request for proposal. They want new tech for their police departments. And Huawei says, ah, you know, uh, we, we, we would love to make a proposal. And so they do. The problem is Huawei doesn't have the tech that enables what the uh, Pakistani police departments want. So they find the company who does have the tech, which is this company in Santa Ana, California, in Orange County, called BES. And they try to do this kind of partnership with BES. And in talking to BES, they, you know, are having lots of meetings and they're learning all about BES and who supplies their hardware, where they buy all of their parts, you know, how they build their systems, learned everything. uh, And then as they did with Ericsson in Stockholm and as they did with Nortel in Ottawa, Canada, learned everything and stole it. And then uh, on top of all that, and while they were having that meetings, according to this Wall Street Journal article, we're asking them if it would be possible to build in a back door so that Huawei could or, or or the CCP would have access to all of this data for that they're now going to sell to Pakistan's police department, police forces. And so now this company um, is saying not only, you know, Huawei took our technology and ran with it after they learned who our vendors are and learned how to build the stuff themselves. And they built in a back door and they have a back door into Pakistan's police departments. And that's, that's the article. Now, what's interesting about this is that's an incredibly strong, um, you know, um, kind of point against Huawei. If this, if they investigate this and it turns out to be true, and it is investigatable, you can go, you you know, the intelligence community can go verify these claims quite easily. So if it turns out to be true, the the, the timing of this is really interesting because uh, Canada is deciding if they should extradite Huawei's CFO to America because America wants Huawei's CFO because Huawei is, you know, being accused of lying about their involvement in Iran which is literally next door to Pakistan. Well, there's Afghanistan in between uh, Pakistan and Iran. But you, America d- doesn't allow doing business with companies who do business with Iran. And uh, Huawei uh, was not very honest about their dealings with Iran. And by the way, we have to assume they also have backdoors in their um, um, solutions that they're selling to Iran as well. And by the way, all of everywhere where they're selling their 5G systems, which they copied from Ericsson in Stockholm, by the way, they built their office literally next door to Ericsson's HQ in the outskirts of Stockholm in a very peculiar um, that you would choose literally the building next door to your main competitor and go through the trouble of literally getting the building next door. Literally, very, very literally, no building in between them. So very uh, peculiar coincidence indeed. But and this is why America is telling all of its allies do not use Huawei's 5G because it's a it has a backdoor to China and they will use it to do you know surveillance on everything. So the timing of this is really interesting. Uh, this startup called BES out of 
Santa Ana saying that, you know, Huawei's doing this really, really bad behavior. And by the way, Pakistan, you should probably know that they're doing this to you. That's also really wild timing because Pakistan, in Pakistan, where China's building a hydroelectric dam up near the Himalayas in the Khyber Pass, the locals there are now attacking the Chinese engineers. There was a bus explosion that knocked a bus into into the bottom of the ravine of the, where the dam is, and it killed uh, eight or nine of the Chinese uh, civil engineers who are building that hydroelectric dam. And then a few days later, this is all in the past few weeks, uh, down at the major port uh, where Pakistan meets the, the edge of the Persian Gulf, there was also assassination attempts on Chinese engineers in the back of a taxi. So this just adds fuel to that fire as well. It's just this gets really weird. The timing of this revelation coming out from the Wall Street Journal of this uh, American tech company making these claims against Huawei, doing espionage on Pakistan's government, basically, and um, and that it stole the intellectual property and just bad behavior and, you know, the, all of all of the above in the context of deciding Canada deciding right like literally today literally today Canada's deciding if they're going to hand over there's a court case where they're deciding if they're going to hand over the Huawei CFO to America to go on trial in America which of of course they're going to do but this certainly um, puts a little more political fuel on the fire to, to highlight the bad behavior of Huawei as was as America's been wanting to get her in, in, in on trial for anyways where it gets additionally interesting is there was also headlines in the past over the weekend or on Friday-ish that China is now holding two Canadian citizens um, in jail. And one of them, it was they had this emergency uh, trial to accuse one of them of espionage, kind of ironically. And so now that person is going to spend the rest of their life in jail in China. And that's a Canadian citizen. And what is the coincidences that China's magically whipping up these, um, you know, trials right as Canada's about to holding a trial to decide the fate of Huawei CFO? So it's it's a really yeah. One of them has a death sentence. One of them has a death sentence. Don't forget the Canadian. Yes. Yeah, one of the Canadians. And, so this is almost like a spy swap they used to do in the Cold War. Yeah. They'll say, give it back our CFO, we'll give you back your two citizens, right? Yep. Oh, she's that's... not just a CFO, she's the daughter of the chairman of Huawei. Yep, that's true. Yep. And then Heyman, who's Canadian, has his hand up, and Pharrell, who just joined on stage, is also uh, from Canada. So I'm wondering if you had some related input on that. Tell on the original story, just wanted to say that the, the Pakistani chief operating officer of that project has completely denied that uh, that uh, Huawei, there is no evidence against oh, Huawei. Oh, well, there we go. Well, well, then I'm sure it's just a big misunderstanding if Pakistan <laughs> no, says that. Yeah. Sure, yeah. They, they don't care, actually. Yeah. Well, they probably know. <laughs> so Yeah, ISI has been involved with the stuff for a long time. Sorry, ISI is <laughs> the ISI, Pakistani intelligence service. Well, not, not only is it Pakistan's intelligence service, it runs the country. Pakistan's one of the rare countries that is run by its intelligence agency. So it's, um, and that's a fun story in and of itself. But Pharrell, you, you did, was there something you wanted to add? You had your hand up. Uh, yeah, I think it actually got addressed that the, the one Canadian is facing a death sentence. And obviously... Well, we don't know necessarily all the details, whether or not espionage truly was going on. But 
it is is becoming more and more a pressure thing for Canadians in China. I've got colleagues that are working in Beijing and other places that they feel like they are under a lot more scrutiny than before, and some of them are preparing to leave. So the gentleman who's now being held on the espionage charges, um, or now been convicted of espionage charges, we should say, um, I sent out a video when we talked about this, um, I don't know, 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago, and it's a, a an hour long video of him um, in China um, working as a cultural ambassador to the t- little town that he lives in, and he's been there for uh, a decade or so, and he's trying to promote, you know, the alcohol uh, companies that are based there that have come up with a regional, very unique alcohol that they're starting to export, and he's welcoming these documentarians who are checking out the area. And he just functioned as an incredibly good cultural ambassador to that uh, province that he happens to live in and love. And it was abundantly <laughs> uh, visible to anybody who watches that video. And and so much so that those documentarians who visited him there were so thankful and so appreciative and, and were so impressed with his genuine affection for that province that he lives in as an ambassador, kind of a cultural ambassador, that they felt it necessary to come out with a new video saying there's no way this guy is a spy <laughs> against this community that he lives in or or in any playing a significant he's in a very remote part of China by the way so that would be a very peculiar place to be based to be doing espionage uh in in kind of um northeastern China where he is this this is not where and someone doing espionage would be based and the you know just does not have the the pedigree or makeup or DNA or smell of, you know, somebody doing intelligence collecting. So um, they felt it necessary to come out and speak on his behalf and and highlight the videos that they made with him and said, you judge for yourself if you think this guy is, you know, has any kind of possibility or potential of being a spy. So um, I'll try and find that video again and retweet it for those. So you can kind of start to make it your own sort of soft decision as to whether you think this person is in fact a spy. So, um, even the guy who was, uh, put to death sentence, he was initially, uh, convicted of 15 years in jail only Um, until the end of 2019 that they actually, uh, kind of upgraded it to a death sentence. And yeah, great point. They've held him now for a very long time. And, What do you know? What an amazing coincidence that they all of a sudden, you know, put slam together a trial and, and a guilty verdict right as at the at, literally as their as as Canada's deciding the fate of Huawei's, you know, CFO. Amazing. The difference coincidence. in the court systems, too, is also amazing because Madam Wang is basically living in her own home with her kids who kids and husband actually live in Canada. And they study in Canadian schools and so forth. Um, so that's the hypocrisy of the whole thing. So she's living there. She wanted to do a PhD in Canada while she was in uh, in house arrest. Uh, she's uh, enjoying all the freedoms of uh, the Western uh, court systems. Yet these guys have not even had any counselor access. Only until recently did they have all that access. Uh, but even that is very minimal. Um, so it tells you also that you know, yes, it's a uh, you know they're being charged with. Uh, allegedly charged with some egregious act, but there's no um, representation or anything. And one thing, I don't know whether you guys covered the Afghanistan story in relation to this, like not in relation to the uh, Huawei Madame Wang, 
but I'm wondering also in relation to China advancing into Afghanistan. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, um, technically, they've already said that they'll back the. Uh, well, they haven't officially said it, but they've actually said that they'll back the Taliban once they come into uh, Kabul. Right. Well, they're recognizing them as the new yeah. leadership of Afghanistan. Yeah, and they have you know quite a bit of influence in Pakistan, and now by doing so, they could uh, have significant um, influence in Afghanistan if, you know, in kind of partnering with the Taliban. And it, some people are arguing that it's because they want uh, some of that juicy, juicy rare earth metals that um, Afghanistan's known for having. So, you know, yeah, we'll see how that all plays out. The, the next big headline at the moment is... From Vice, it says research shows pro-Trump social network Getter, G-E-T-T-R, has no content moderation besides users reporting and has reached 1.5 million users in August. And uh, I guess Getter had claimed they reached 1.5 million in July, but um, the data shows that it, they just reached 1.5 million users in August. And uh, this is the, the pro-Trump Twitter alternative launched last month by close Trump advisor Jason Miller from Santa Monica, California, and is allowing users to share child exploitation images because there's no moderation. And so that's interesting in and of itself. And that kind of that adds in a whole interesting new twist to the whole um, um the, the conversations we've been having here about how all the social media platforms are now starting to proactively address child uh, issues of um, on, on their apps. And then Getter is notably uh, not doing anything like that. And th that adds a whole new extra little plot twist, actually. That's kind of weird. So... Um, but indeed, they're not really doing any kind of moderation of any kind is essentially the headline. But that's by design, because the reason they built the app is because the pro-Trump audience were felt like they were being inappropriately silenced on traditional, you know, large social media apps. And they needed their own alternative, which ironically is hosted in Russia. Um, but uh, indeed, yeah, they're not being silenced because there's no moderation happening. And by the way, it was reported that. Uh, the Taliban is uh, itself is showing a lot of um, very troubling videos that are um, inside of Getter app. And because the, that's one thing that uh, the Taliban and the Trump audience have in common is that they don't like being silenced on social media. And so they're now they're able to share their beheading videos and whatnot on this uh, pro-Trump app called Getter. It's also been uh, a headline kind of related on that point was that the Taliban has now banned vaccines in Afghanistan as they're now taking over in Afghanistan. And one of their first kind of uh, new rules is banning vaccinations for COVID, which, again, is another interesting similarity point between the pro-Trump Trump, um, Trump Trump supporters and the Taliban. So maybe they have a lot to share on that point about uh, being anti-vaxxers in the in their app there because that's one of the kind of um, narratives that's not allowed on traditional social media and now the two camps with similar positions about uh, being um, opposed to vaccines can can share those views on that app so certainly 
give gives uh, a, you know a space for people with those uh, narratives to share their views. So um, that's the headline from Vice on Getter. The next big one is from VentureBeat that Seismic, which offers automated tools to help with sales and marketing, raises $170 million. No big deal. Next one's from the New York Times that says, for some teenagers, making NFTs and other forms of digital art is seen as a gateway to a career as a full-time artist and has become their new summer job. Forget mowing lawns and bagging groceries. Some Gen Z kids are finding other ways to make money this summer through NFTs. That's the headline from the New York Times. So, uh, I get, and I think what no doubt what they're going to draw the connection to is the creator of, uh, what is it, Hungry Hippos? Or what's the latest NFT that was made by a, a 12-year-old recently? That people got very excited about. <clears throat> I know a may the long neck. The ah, long yes, neck. long neck. What cats? Some kitty. Yeah, crazy cats or some one of these new NFT um, auctions was essentially made by a twelve-year-old. There was, I think, there's now been two. Another one was by a sixteen-year-old. And what I'm starting to wonder. Weird, yes. Yeah. Weird we, whales. Yes, weird whales. I think was that's, one of them. That's the twelve-year-old. Yeah. 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 And what I'm starting to wonder is, is this potentially savvy parents marketing uh, using maybe collaborating with their kids and making this? But You mean child label? No, that, that isn't my <laughs> point at all. I, I mean, just clever marketing. Just joking. Because well, now you have a story which is picked up by the New York Times, no less to prove my point, which is the how to get. Uh, attention around one of these NFT auctions, you need a kind of a, a very unique angle that'll get people excited to pay a thousand dollars for a gif of a whale. So one way to do that is to highlight, you know, this is made by a 12 year old and you're, it's kind of a digital lemonade stand, uh, although a thousand dollars for a glass of lemonade, essentially, Alexandra. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I think it's, um, it's a couple of things. One is that remember that before the pandemic and then it was worse than the pandemic, um, jobs for the 14 to 20 year old group um, were non-existent because they were like uh, everything was getting pushed down the chain. So you had like, you know, you know, um, the graduate college uh, and graduate school graduates who were working at Starbucks, which pushed down, you know, the people who were there who, you know, ended up getting into the summer jobs and the in the typical team jobs. So they just weren't available anymore. So, um, so it might be one way, honestly, that the people who used their child um, uh, income during those months, right, like that's actual income for the family that might be just another way that they're trying to supplement it because there really is no alternative. So I think that that might be um, one thing of it. And the other thing is that most of these are priced at like, you know, 0.02 or, or even less, right, ETH. So most of them are like, you know, 100 to $200 at most, mm -hmm. um, which is really stupid because honestly, a lot of people are losing 75 cents, 50 to 75 cents because of gas per transfer if they're using Ethereum. Mm -hmm. But um, but that's, <clears throat> so, I mean, most of them are not like $1,000 things. They're very um, cheap ones, but they don't have the campaign around them like the like the Bored Apes did, you know, where they gave away a bunch and then um, and then started to build a marketplace from there. So, um, I, you know, I think it's, it's 
it's probably more than parents trying to make money from their from their kids but that's probably part of it honestly there's probably some parents that are doing that but a lot of them are just trying to supplement income and they can't do it any other way I, I don't can I, I don't I, I want to recontextualize it I'll, I'll turn it to you in a second Gabby I just wanted to point out I don't I wouldn't frame it in the context of making money from their kids I think it's more like Hey, you know, Bobby or Sarah knows how to do a little coding. Let's do this. Let's jump on this hype train together because here's a way for us. And I imagine they're even putting in the money into the kid's bank account at the end of the day. Um, and, and I think Look at the demographics, though, right? I think it's a Sorry, I, 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 I would do it myself. You know, I think this is if, if, if your kid can learn something in the process and learn about business and learn about NFTs, I don't think it's purely 100 percent scam. I think it's, you know. Parent, geek parents with their you know kind of geeky kids do you know yeah, but i think the parents are involved to some degree is my my suspicion and i i really shouldn't do that without any kind of evidence because i i really love the idea that a 12 year old is making you know an nft it's just a, a little bit of a stretch yeah so what i was going to say is what i learned during the pandemic is a number of parents started using their kids' names and kids' accounts to set up cryptocurrency accounts in their kids' name because that was the only way that they could continue to look on paper, lower socioeconomic status, and continue to get in unemployment and all those other uh, things that you could get from the federal government. So there is, and I know this from facts, not from, you know, what I read off the news. And so while I watch the regulation on cryptocurrency and how they tax it, there are a number of people from the lower socioeconomic status, staff, status and people who, have, who work in banks who have personally went and created cryptocurrency accounts with other names, more than likely their kids, and they've been holding the money, Do Dogecoin, Bitcoin, whatever. And I've seen this because I know it, and they do the same thing with NFTs. And so Tyler is somewhat accurate. Yeah, could be. I mean, I I would love to be to be honest. I would love to be proven wrong on on my little conspiracy theory here, because I would love the idea of a twelve year old, thirteen year old, or even sixteen year old doing this independently. That for that, I would absolutely you know enthusiastically applaud it. So, but uh, uh, according to what Gabby mentioned just now, there will be a risk, right? What if there's really a situation of tax invasion, and then their kids will be you know blacklisted since young. So most of those um, most of those accounts, you you can't open an account until you are usually twenty one. Some of them have gone down to eighteen, right. uh -huh. but you're not actually so so if they're opening the account, um, if a child is opening the account, and usually you have to prove you know that it's there's KYC AML on most of these, um, especially in the U.S. And for them to access it, you know there's there's a there's more fraud in that um, in opening an account for someone who is underage, but also the way that they do KYC AML, it's literally like you hold your passport and you have to take a picture with your face, you know, like it's, you know, you're, it's, it's the, there's, there's more stuff and then the account has to be linked to the person that's holding it. And then they have to look at the history of the account. So there's an actual process that actually does happen. So it would be like a, the end of ongoing fraud to be able to use a kid's account and be able to open up a, um, a crypto account on an exchange 
in, in order to do this transaction. Now, if they're trying to get non-KYC Bitcoin or something like that, which actually isn't that easy. You have to know people and know where to get it and know how to access a DEX or whatever. But then there would be no need to use your kid because you're trying to just stay out of the system altogether. Um, so it, it's not entirely... Uh, uh, clear that how that would would really work um, on any systematic basis, but the tax evasion stuff is um, is primarily because in 2017 and uh, at the end of 2017, um, only 50 people declared uh, um, that they had had any gains on their crypto. And um, clearly it was way more than 50. Um, and, you know, the IRS was like, we read the news too. You know, we know what's happening. So that's how they started, you know, getting into all the exchanges. They've actually led all of the federal issues that are, um, uh, as the investigative agencies have come in from DOJ, from the SEC, CFTC, all of those people, it started with the IRS going into the exchanges. And now um, there's such a crackdown happening on the exchanges that um, to, uh, it's the same people who are evading taxes as were before. Generally speaking, not the lower income people who form actually the bulk of the crypto investors post 2019. Um, it's actually more the people at the very top who are using jurisdictional hopping to try and evade taxes. And, and that's a big issue that um, the IRS may or may not have the stomach to pursue because obviously those are also big campaign donors, et cetera. Yeah, I was just going to add that I do know that it's complicated, but this is in line with the PPP loans that were given out. I mean, I, when I read the headlines and I see who gets caught for them, it's the people that got, that have millions, right? But I know people on the floor that have used their 18 and 17-year-old kid to get a $10,000. The $10,000 ones that spread across the lower socioeconomic neighborhoods in the U.S. And even the penitentiary, you know, there are people in jail that figured out how to get PPP loans and they put them into, I forget that that electronic bank, it was Swift, Swipe, something like that in those. And they, they sold all this on the black market. So you're right when you say the monetary amount and the tax evasion is probably greater with the wealthy, but it is going on nonstop. And, and, the, and it goes on nonstop in the cities that have the most amount of fraud. Because, and I'm only saying this because it is true and it goes under the radar but it doesn't mean that it does not happen because it is happening. And so what I've learned, um, you know, being on some of the newer uh, cryptocurrency startups like BitCloud, like in Canada, their tax laws are different from America's. And so although a lot of these um, websites that are made in America say like you need to be certain age, Canadian kids have made hundreds of thousands of USDA under their parents' watch allegedly on these cryptocurrency nfts and things of that nature hey gabby it was a swift system you're correct on that so it's definitely it's huge programs like that ripe for fraud and eugene you had your hand up was it uh, you wanted to comment on this point uh yeah just just quick update uh i know crypto crypto gets a bad rap sometimes from some of the assumptions but uh Anybody can open a crypto wallet. There's no restrictions on age anywhere in the world. You can download thousands of apps and hold as much currency as you want. That's the whole premise of decentralized. Uh, at the same time, uh, if you're unable 
to establish a gateway for you to take your crypto into a regular currency fiat, uh, then you won't be able to withdraw it. And, uh, you know, all things considered, even today under accounting practices, uh, under GAAP, crypto is non-tangible asset. Uh, and I hard, find it extremely hard to believe that in Canada or U.S., if you're under 18 years old, you can establish a way to convert your Bitcoin to even an ATM machine at the gas station, that you know, the Bitcoin ATM machine, because you're required to have a social security, a valid age verification, stuff like that. So uh, there's a lot of ways uh, you can hold crypto. You don't have to have accounts anywhere. There are millions of billions of kids probably now who hold at least some kind of currency, uh, cryptocurrency or, or a token. Uh, and uh, to say that that's holding it as a fraud or parents are, you know, opening up accounts under their name, uh, it's a little bit of exaggeration. But to the point of NFTs, uh, it, it's starting to feel like for those people who were in the 2017 timeframe, of initial coin offerings uh, that ultimately ended up sinking billions of dollars into non-existence. Uh, NFTs are, an acceleration and NFTs are reminding of that same period of what's the validity of those GIF files and what assurances you get when you buy the GIF file has not been established. Uh, and that's a greater concern because now there's billion plus dollars in NFTs that's been processed uh, but there's no regulation around protecting that intellectual property that exists today. Okay. There is actually um, an, a lot of regulation regarding um, intellectual property. There are three main areas of problems regarding um, NFTs. Um, and then an, a, another uh, group of problems that regards the lack of um, of secondary market, right? So, so to the extent that people are flipping things, flipping is not a secondary market. That's a froth market. So we don't have a true secondary market. And um, in most of these, uh, you know, it's not quite the same as an ICO because it's not essentially an unregistered security offering. It's actually, um, you know, just a, a purchase of it's a purchase of something for ownership that you actually, um, you know, you do have, uh, and it's, you don't actually buy a file. What you're doing is getting ownership. It's, it's an asset that can be hypothecated and it can be used collateral and you can use it for, fan, for, for financing. So it's an actual asset. It's like an asset backed, uh, asset backed token. Um, but, um, I don't think that it's, it's quite the same as that ICO period. And I remember that period that was kind of a mess, but that was, that was clear fraud. Like that was, a, there were a lot of people who were, who were selling coins with no intention of actually building the infrastructure underneath it. This is just an actual, like an asset that people are selling. And honestly, in a lot of areas, especially under authoritarian rule, this is the way that people who have no access to capital can get access and people can actually emigrate when they couldn't emigrate before because they have access to a marketplace now where they can sell their goods, usually their artists or other people who have creative projects. Um, but there's, you know, there's not really a limit to what you can put on an NFT. It doesn't have to be art or music or whatever, but these people actually have um, a, a new way to survive outside of the jurisdiction where before they were trapped. Okay. So the next big headline is 
from the New York Times. Inside Twitter's two-year effort to change its internal culture, led by uh, controversial VP of Design, Dauntley Davis, who is also playing a very significant role in their uh, clubhouse uh, copy called uh, Twitter Spaces, because that involves a lot of design. And he's actually quite active um, on Twitter in their rooms with um, um, somebody has to remind me the name of the young lady he hired for uh, as weird as this having a brain fart. The um, the team that was Maya, Maya, Maya. Yes. Patton. Thank you, Gabby. So Maya, obviously who he hired to be part of that team and is also very active there. So you can actually engage with this guy, Dauntley Dennis Davis, uh, who the New York times is doing this big story about how two years ago, the company brought in a blunt executive Dauntley, Dauntley Davis to make things move faster, which certainly things have <laughs> the, the amount of, uh, Features and products and services have has definitely gone up uh, tremendously in the past two years, um, which coincides exactly with when Dauntley Davis joined. And but it says two years ago the company brought in a blunt executive to make things move faster and to promote diversity. Then the then the problems began. The the story says, and so I'm going to tweet that one out so that you can read about what what the problems are that they're teasing in their clickbaity headline. Um, and some people are saying that it's a very good article and it's a good look at what's going on inside of Twitter and whatnot. And then the next story is uh, from Bloomberg about a crypto staking service called Figment raises 50 million. And the, now this is an interesting one, although interesting in that it's not interesting. <laughs> from the Wall Street Journal, uh, a journalist named Rachel Levy writes a story that she writes the headline that DHS, which is the Department of Homeland Security, moles using private companies to analyze public social media data after the intelligence community um, failed to identify threats that led to the January 6th violence uh, in Washington, D.C. And that that's no news. That's no headline at all. Uh Government agencies have been using outside private uh, companies to do data analysis on social media for a very long time, like a very long time. And um, so I, I'm not sure what <laughs> New York Times and Bloomberg continue to get either B grades or yeah. possibly C grades. Yeah. Data, it's, right? This is just weird. Yeah, I, 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 I let me see if it's not paywall. Let me tweet it out so people can read it themselves. Um, on the the context of the headline, I think a lot of the questions are what what kind of perhaps potential role people in the government had to suppress the uh, response. That, that, that's kind of that's kind of the, the big question about the whole January sixth. Is was there a role from anybody in the administration or you know in, in a couple other entities? That, that's kind of the, the question that begs. Um, it says the Department of Homeland Security is considering hiring private companies to analyze public social media for warning signs of extremist violence, spurring debate. There, there's a lot of private companies that offer these services, by the way, uh, spurring debate within the agency over how to monitor for such threats while protecting America's civil liberties. The effort, which remains under discussion 
and hasn't received approval or funding would involve sifting through large flows of internet traffic to help identify online narratives that might provide leads on developing attacks, whether from home or abroad. The initiative comes after the nation's intelligence community failed to sufficiently identify and share signs of the threat that led to the assault on the U.S. Capitol by a mob of Donald Trump supporters on January 6th. John Cohen, a top DHS official, is spearheading the project, which he describes as part of an upgrade to the department's capabilities in social media analysis, marshalling the expertise of outside companies, and ramping up internal capabilities are central to that effort, he said. Yeah, but you, you've been... Uh, Palantir has been doing this for fucking a decade. So what's new here? Uh, what we're talking about is, now is dramatically expanding our focus, Mr. Cohen said in an interview. Mr. Cohen push, Mr. Cohen's push has sparked internal debates in DHS and elsewhere in the Biden administration over longstanding tensions between civil liberties and security efforts. Some officials in the agency and the White House worry about governmental overreach and say people familiar with the deliberations and concern that civil liberty advocates share. Um, we don't, we do not support an expansion of social media surveillance in the name of stopping the next attack on Capitol Hill. According to Adam Schwartz, Adam Schwartz, an attorney with the electronic frontier foundation, a nonprofit supporting digital rights said the organization is wary of any government effort to gobble up more social media data that information could potentially be stored forever and later mined to feed to find leads on crimes. And yeah, but that's partly why you would delegate it uh, to a private company. That's that's why they do this stuff, by the way, so that it's not. Well, to push back on that, if we can stop for a moment, to push the whole idea of pushing back on something that's already been shared publicly is absurd. If somebody shared it publicly in social media, it's a part of the public record. And if, if anything, it should be documented. So there's, there's no right to, if you're, if you're blurting all this, whatever out on social media, what right do you have to have that concealed later on? That's, 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 oh, that's totally true. That's funny. That's totally true. It's public. It can't actually be considered privileged at all. That's funny. You see that? And I'm not even a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But it, the point is, is that the people who are best suited to do the job are not the government. That's not their skill set, anyways. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you might as well. In a, but in a prior world, I mean, the whole cybersecurity is, is going to a new level, right? Where I think. With you, your mic just dropped. On the pub, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. The public and private, we need to collaborate to, to, to achieve a higher order of uh, security, which would include anything, certainly, that led to the January 6th uprising. It gets, so. it's, it's an interesting point. Um, it, Indeed, the the private sector is going to be far better at this because the geeks and the you know are generally avoid government uh, careers and they you know um, come up with awesome technologies and you know if that's the private sector, they're going to do a far better job of it. Um, they can work for uh, for the Defense Department or the or the Justice Department or whoever. And they often do, which is that's why I'm saying this headline's kind of weird because this stuff has been going on for many years now. But the where it gets interesting is, um, yeah, they, if they, yeah, I'll, I'll save my other point because I don't want to. Tyler, yeah. I'm, yeah, but Tyler, I'm also wondering with the. Oh, I'm also wondering, like, with the Apple thing, right? With the recent Apple story, 
Uh, is Apple now being sometimes forced to sort of have the open door through this apparent saving children sort of a policy? Is that how they're doing it again? Say it like, again. you know how they, you know how the NSA previously had open doors, right, into all these different applications and everything else. I'm wondering with Apple's recent revelation that, you know, they want to allow these image searches, were they, is that sort of like a way for them to get, and maybe there was some pressure for them to sort of open this up, but they're using the children's angle to do that? That's what some, that's what uh, the many people are worried about. Let's put it that way. And, and him and kind of, if you zoom out, it's, it's to come up with the mechanical method. It's like, right. if you're baking a cake, you need to learn, you need an oven, you need all kinds of things. And, you know, what's the best cake you can build first. It's probably the one that, you know, has the most positive impact on society, regardless of the potential for negative. Right. So, right. Um, they can take this to anywhere. Now, India wants, um, a certain persons not, you know, monitoring, they have the mechanics already built out. They just need to change the, the recipe. Well, here, here. Yeah, on the earlier yeah. point, but, sorry, this is Vinay, on the earlier point about people putting stuff in public record and it becoming the most popular law is going to be the right to be forgotten. They say, I said this shit, but can I, can I, can I be forgiven? Can you take this down forever, please? That's going to be very popular now. Yeah. Uh, I think in Europe, I think that if somebody can share it from Europe, I think that that is part of the Europe's uh, legal structure or something. I think France passed that. Yeah. The right to be forgotten. So, the... But it's also a scary thing, though, right? With Twitter having that blue uh, membership plan, you could actually delete some aspects of your tweet, edit your tweet. So I'm wondering, is there going to be like a dual, a t- two tiers of society where those who could pay can actually have their records expunged or edited versus others who can't, right? So someone named the last paragraph of this article about working with the government, working with private companies to kind of... Uh, do the data analysis on social media to find, you know, bad potential bad actors. The very last paragraph is a quote and it says, there's a real temptation once the tool is in place to say, well, we have this, why, why don't we use it for these other purposes, which speaks exactly to the Apple issue. Um, of, you know, once you have a technology, you're naturally going to want to think of other ways to use, you know, you made, you made the knife to bake a cake, but you know, there's all kinds of other good and nightmarish scenarios, you know? So anyway, it's an interesting article. I just tweeted that one out. And then the, there's just a couple. Um, can I just add the, yeah. about the right to be forgotten? Sure. Just to, just point of clarity is that um, it's actually in the GDPR, the European privacy rules. Um, it's called the right of erasure. And, um, and it's actually one of the biggest problems that is not being addressed in blockchain right now, because uh, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, there's private and per- there's personal information and anonymous information as, the, as those are defined in the GDPR that's being collected. And, um, and there isn't really a way to enforce that rule. So that has to actually be put in and most of the privacy policies are inadequate. So, so the next article is about, um, OpenAI Clip, which is um, a really fantastic technology. And uh, the, it's the New Yorker who wrote this. It's a profile of a Twitter account called at images uh, underscore AI, which I will tweet out for you, at images underscore AI, which is an account on Twitter 
uh, and the name of the account is images generated by AI machines. Uh, I'm now following it and I will tweet, tweet it. I will tweet out one of their recent, um, oh, they just did, this is really wild. So they're using this technology made by OpenAI, which is a big AI lab, one of the world's best AI labs, which they have a technology called Clip. And what Clip does is you can ask it uh, very easily, like a child would, you ask it to make images. And you can say, give me an image of a, um, a hippopotamus belly dancing, you know, um, on a bed of flowers. And boom, it does it. And then say, great, change the hippopotamus to purple. Boom, it does it. And you can just direct it. And so you, what gets interesting is if you give it very interesting questions, as somebody just did a few hours ago and tweeted it, and I just retweeted it, and they said, uh, the fall of U.S. Embassy in Kabul. And they gave that as the input, and you can see the image that it made, which is this really artistic i mean it looks like a piece of modern art i have to say tell me if i'm wrong i just tweeted it to the tech news twitter account at tnatw and it looks like beautiful modern art to be honest um um and so that people are giving it really interesting um questions and some of the really interesting ones that people are finding are like um a a Chinese temple in the stylings of Art Deco. And it shows you uh, a, a Chinese temple in the stylings of Art Deco in a way that just would kind of blow your mind. Um, really wild stuff. This is a really amazing Twitter account. I really can't recommend it enough. And it's so impressive that uh, the New Yorker did a profile on this Twitter account, which essentially is just using OpenAI Clip as a, as a source for really interesting queries like the one I just tweeted out, which itself is just stunningly beautiful, actually. Hey, Tyler, yeah. do we know if the same two people asked it the same question, does the same result happen? No, no. Time? In fact, the same person can ask for 10 different varieties of, uh, of an input. So you can say, show me 10 examples of a neon sign of my name, and it would give you 10 totally different examples of your name in neon signs. So can you make NFTs with that? If you have 10 NFT, NFTs, yeah, you, you put it out there? Of course you could. You can use yeah. it as the input of generating something that you think is a visual value that you could then sell. And by the way... No, but this... only if you have digital rights. You probably don't have the digital uh, rights. You, you might not in, darn it. in the case of OpenAI. However, what Heyman, what you're referring to is actually not so dissimilar from the origins of the original... Um, crypto punks, which is they are AI generated. And so you could say, give me 10,000 versions of a figure um, with various, you know, accessories like hats and sunglasses. And, you know, and that's what the crypto punks are is 10,000 unique variations of a figures kind of portraits. And the machine made all 10,000 of them. They were not individually human created. And that's that's perceived as, you know, what is so interesting about them. Tyler, yeah. the, if we could put a pin on it, yeah. you know, part of the thing about AI with the rise of AI most recently has been the idea that, oh, man, computers can't be creative. What's going on? The fact the fact is that what everyone is hearing right now is is the uh, graphic design community 
kind of you know the, the a very uh, a very vibrant realm of of human creativity is on notice with regards to using a machine to create logos and, and design and things like that. So just you know, let's be really aware that that yet another industry is in the uh, kind of going to be basically swallowed up. And and Alexander, if you could clarify, it'd be helpful, I think, for the audience and myself. So if you went to OpenAI to say, hey, build me a whatever it to be used as a marketing asset, um, typically you would have those rights assigned as a copyright. But if you're going to a, to just, you know, a, you know, to OpenAI or what have you, you want these little AI, little uh, creative uh, services, what... Uh, how can people use that or how can they not use it? Like, what are the implications? So that would actually depend on um, on what the terms of that site were, right? So, so uh, and then what rights they're offering users. So typically when you have something that is computer generated, uh, what you're actually getting is a limited license and it usually has some commercial aspect to it. Uh, but uh, there may be an outright sale where you own the underlying IP, including the digital rights. Um, the limited license is basically you just get the um, you just get a license to use that image, but the uh, whoever owns the site owns the images underlying it, so they can use them again and again in other different um, like permutations or things like that. So. Um, so that's, I mean, and that's kind of what happens when you get, like, you use like a, like one of those auto-generated logo things is you basically have um, a, um, a a license to use that image for yourself, but it, it you don't have any rights to the underlying, um, you know, whatever it is that's creating the, the, the images that, cause those are the, those base images are owned by them. So you can't go back and say um, that you own those images, therefore you have a right to that. So, and it's a non-exclusive license. So your logo may be generated in someone else's company and you don't have the right to say, no, wait, that's my logo. You have to go, you can try and go and trademark it, but there may be issues with trying to trademark something that is broadly, um, that's uh, broadly held, right? If, cause there would already be market confusion. So um, it's, it's, based on, uh, uh, at its heart, is based on what is being offered by that company. Um, and uh, and I don't think it's probably as broad as most people generally think it is. And mere ownership of something, like if you own something physically, like you have a painting or something physically, that doesn't entitle you to the right to digital rights to it, right? The underlying IP is still usually held by the um, the creator. So if you try to make like, if you have a painting and you try to make an NFT of your painting that, you know, like you have the Mona Lisa, lucky you, and you decide that you want to make a, an NFT of that painting by taking a digital image or, um, and then um, and then selling it, you can't necessarily do that because um, you may not hold the digital rights to it. So that's the, um, that's, it's, there's a separation between what rights you might have and it's within that particular, that particular site. And Alexandra, not have legal you looked advice. at the meta, oh, sorry. Have you or looked at the not... metadata? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Alexandra. Ladies first. Yeah. No, I know that. Oh, I'm just trying to say it's not legal advice. None of this is legal advice. And Alexander, have you ever looked at the metadata of any of these uh, AI created, or has anyone looked at the metadata of any of these AI created images? I'm just curious to know what they put in there. It really depends on um, on what the 
like on the individual application or whatever, a lot of it, a lot of it gets stripped out, honestly, that metadata gets stripped out. That's why it's important to make sure that you've got, um, you know, very clear terms, which by the way, are not a contract. That's basically just goes to notice, but, um, but you have to notify people on what rights they're getting. But the, I mean, assuming that, that you're asking about what rights are in the metadata itself, a lot of that actually gets stripped out. So, um, so hopefully it's in more places than just the, the metadata, unfortunately. Okay. So then we've gone through the popular uh, headlines of the moment, and that brings us to the part of the program everyone's been waiting for, which is all of the very fun, more interesting, more, I would say, even important articles that everyone on stage and in the audience has been sharing with us via Twitter, which you anyone can do by finding any article they, that they think we should discuss and just include our Twitter handle, which is simply t the first letters of tech news around the world, TNATW, as part of the tweet. And we will get notified. It often takes us uh, several hours to catch up because there's a whole lot of people tweeting tweets, very great articles. And I've now cherry picked out my favorite, I don't know, 50 or 60 out of the past uh, eight hours. And here we go. So one of them is this one, Vinay, you just sent in this one about China's recent rape scandal. Was that yours? Who sent that in just now? Was that Vinay? It was. So Vinay, you just sent in one just now about from CNN. China's recent rape scandals are a hashtag me too victory. Yeah. Activists say, even if the government won't admit it. Yeah, so this is, uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Alibaba had a big sexual harassment case and they formed, I, I tweeted another one to you. Tyler as well. Alibaba has formed a all women sexual harassment committee. And uh, part of this whole population thing is they want to ease the stress on women of being harassed and all of that stuff. So they're trying not to say that there is a Me Too movement, but the Chinese government's cracking down on companies and any cases of sexual harassment in a very, very strong way. Mm. So the head and there were two the cases of rape. Now. can go both ways too, right? Why is it just all women? Yeah, because yes, because uh, Asian women, you know. I am so scared when I travel in Asia. Because it's about power as well as the unwanted advancement. It's not just the unwanted advancement. So the, the article says <clears throat> the two explosive rape allegations have rocked China in recent weeks, turning a spotlight on the country's stifled hashtag me too movement and problems of sexual assault on monday the e-commerce giant alibaba said it had fired an employee who was accused of sexual assaulting another employee during a business trip the week before beijing police said they had arrested chinese canadian pop star chris Wu on suspicion of rape according to a statement in both cases victims had posted their allegations on chinese social media which sparked an online furor and prompted police to investigate Neither Wu nor the Alibaba employee have been charged with any crime. The authorities' swift actions won praise from some online who pointed to the two cases as an indication of the effective rule of law and criminal justice in China. Yet it raised eyebrows amongst others who say it instead highlights how rare it is for survivors to speak out and seek justice. Here's the quote. It is unsurprising that both cases have drawn such wide attention. 
given uh, the celebrity Chris Wu and Alibaba's high profiles, said Feng Yuan, a feminist scholar and activist. But this also serves as a reminder that for many other cases of sexual harassment and assault, if the accusers are not so famous or influential, the victims may not have their voices heard at all. So that's the key. Mm-hmm. There's just an article that uh, the Beijing authorities has just approved the arrest of the Canadian Chris Wu. Ah, for so they are arresting rape, him. Yeah. Okay. And interestingly, and this is the thing they'll do. They did this. I mean, this is a thing, right? So they're actually not there. It's all symbolics. Anything. I think the key thing is that on the ground, like how are the real people who are day to day workers uh, being impacted? How are they being helped? This is, I mean, for the cultural thing, it's actually good. If it if it trends on Weibo, and I mean, sorry, and uh, uh, sorry, I've got the mediums there. But the thing is, if it trends on their social media, I think maybe people will get more smart about it, and it'll improve things. That's good for them. Uh, but it's just basically using all these uh, other people as uh, figurehead. I mean, sort of the token um, prosecutions. It, uh, yeah. Okay. So the next um, article that somebody found is this one about Singapore seeks correction on COVID-19 child death Facebook post. Do you know about this one, Cheryl? Is it POFMA? Oh, this one's from Faraz via Bloomberg, and it says Singapore's Ministry of Health had has issued an order to Facebook requiring correction to be made over what it says are falsehoods circulating online about child deaths. Of yep, COVID. yep, that's under the POFMA, POFMA thing. The uh, Online Falsehood and Manipulation Act. Oh. POFMA, I call it. Okay. It's very common in Singapore. Okay, so it says Singapore's Ministry of Health has issued an order on Facebook. Uh as of August 14th, there has been no case of any child that has died of COVID-19 uh, in Singapore, uh, according to a statement from the Ministry of Health. And But there was a Facebook post that implied that there had about a three-year-old child that had died. And so Singapore saying, remove that falsehood or get out of our country, something like that. Oh, no, they, they are not <laughs> asking Facebook to get out of the country. They are just uh, asking them to, to, to make this a falsehood. That means to label it as a to label it as a falsehood. Oh, label it as a falsehood. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. You can still leave it there, but it has to label it as falsehood. Okay. So, Dan, here comes your your chance to get into some green tech. The first headline is from Faraz. Cost to bury carbon near tipping point as emission prices soar is the headline from Bloomberg. And it says, skyrocketing carbon prices and a code red warning about the threat posed by climate change are giving fresh momentum to a technology that captures and uh, kind of, yeah, draws down carbon from the atmosphere. Yep, that's a hugely, getting really controversial. Lots of discussions just in the last week, a lot on Twitter about, is it uh, a savior or is it something that's uh, horrible? I mean, like they there's a group of, uh, you know, climate activists and, and even climate scientists, some of them, who say it's an excuse of the fossil fuel industry just to keep doing things as usual. That's on one side. And then on the other side, it's, well, we don't make it without it. <laughs> you know, there's just no way we're going to, you know, address the problem without it. And I'm in that camp. Um, it was originally, by the way, to be fair uh, to all of those other folks, originally was greenwashing uh, by the coal industry, you know, you might remember clean coal, and it was an excuse to keep doing things as usual, 
in electricity production. But now coal power electricity is more expensive than renewables without carbon capture. So adding carbon capture just makes it more expensive. So it doesn't make any sense at all to do it for electricity production. But cement, for just one example of industrial emissions, is 8% of all emissions. It's just from cement. And half of that is actually not from fossil fuels. It's from the chemical reaction of the cement when you make it. So I think that CCS is needed for the 10 gigatons a year, about 25% of, of emissions that are very hard to replace with renewables right now. Not that it can't be done, but it's gonna take uh, decades and we don't have decades to wait. Um, a lot of people think that the technology doesn't really exist and all that kind of stuff, but they're confusing the fact that up until very recently and what the article is talking about, there were absolutely no incentives to build this stuff because no one would pay you to save the world. No one would pay you to remove carbon. So why would anyone do it? It would just be a cost without quote a benefit, except for the benefit of not killing, killing everybody eventually, but you know, uh, sorry. Anyway, so there's now starting to be incentives. Technology is starting to be rolled out. I have, a, I have an investment in a company in this area. that's kind of a leader in in the space called Svante. And uh, in addition to the carbon capture, which you capture from the plant itself, which is in concentrated form. So the CO2 coming out of the smokestack is, you know, maybe 10 or 20%. In the atmosphere, CO2 is only 0.04%. So catch, getting it out of the air is harder. That's called direct air capture. And that is also something we're gonna need because CO2 is already too high. Again, both can be done. It's not easy, it's not cheap, but uh, it's a lot cheaper than uh, not doing it and suffering the consequences of it. So I actually tweeted out to Tech News last night or seven hours ago, or whatever it was, um, just a chart of energy usage by type. You know, how much is fossil fuels? How much is renewables? And when you look at that, you realize what a daunting challenge we have to replace all fossil fuels with renewables. I mean, I think we can and we better do it, but it's gonna take a while. It's not gonna happen as fast as we think. And therefore we better have plan B and carbon capture is plan B. Anyone's really interested in this next Monday, August 23rd, week, a week from today, um, interviewing Klaus Lackner, who is the godfather of carbon capture. And he's a really cool guy, very smart been working on this for decades and we're going to talk all about the subject of air capture. So anyway, that's okay. Thank you. That's my overview. Sure. Alrighty. The next article up is uh, people are getting excited about the next iPhone as Apple any day now, probably tomorrow or the next day will announce <clears throat> the, the actual day in September when they will reveal the new upcoming iPhone, <clears throat> which will either be September 7th or 14th and we will know the answer to that probably in the next 48 hours as journalists will get their invites to uh, join that event probably virtually almost certainly virtually and uh, but that means we get to watch it right along with them on a live stream as we've done previously which is a lot of fun but just to there's not much of a hint is is the article i will tweet out now for you essentially it's going to have the identical sizes as previous phones uh, of the iPhone 12 uh, lineup. It's expected to be identical in terms of the sizes of the devices. 
and um, except with the notch at the top of the screen will be 30% smaller and it will have 120 hertz uh, refresh rate on the display, which means that, yeah, like your, you know, the, the film rate or this, you know, the speed of the, the update of the um, speed of the refresh of the screen is faster, which gives it a nicer feel. Um, and with some minor camera improvements, uh, obviously the chip is upgraded every year in every phone and this will have better, a better 5g chip. And, um, that's basically it. So it's not going to have USB-C. Um, also a better um, Wi-Fi chip and also a bigger yes. battery. Yes, the battery's about, uh, as every f new phone they've ever had, it has a slightly bigger battery. And uh, it does Wi-Fi 6, is, as every other phone manufacturer has been doing for a while now. So iPhone's catching up. It's to supposed to be 6E, by the way. Yeah. 6E. There's an extended part of it. Yeah. iPhone's catching up to all the cheap Chinese phones that are half the price. So it's great news for all the iPhone users out there. And a much better camera, likely, with telescopic photos like a lot of the Asian yeah. manufacturing stuff. So does anybody actually get the phones that, like right when they come out? I'm sorry. Just, just curious. Does anybody actually do that? A lot of people do. Maybe Michael. Yeah, I'm sure Michael does. I usually do. I usually do. I, I always do. I, I get it, but every few years. I mean, not, not, you know, when I decide to get it, I try to get it right away. Yeah. That's what you say, isn't it? Your phone is still working and then you buy a new one just because a new one comes up? Yeah, yeah, and I, then you give the other one to your family. Yep. That's, I, that, that will hurt the climate. But this is yes, exactly. So, as an advocate for Mama Gaia, I'm with Cheryl. I try to, I try to like not upgrade every time, just for the obvious reasons as we're identifying. And I'll just re-advocate the fact that I've got like two or three 2012 laptops that I still use because it's all you really need to do most of what you need to do. But this is your, your if you really want the capital G geek uh, accreditation, you must uh, get the phone right when it comes out each year and pass your previous phone down to whoever's next in line in your family to receive it. But Tyler, <laughs> unless you're like the, the top TikTok maker in the world, and I've not seen any of your TikTok videos yet, Tyler. I'm not on TikTok. I don't know why yeah. you need those. Oh, you're not? Okay. I thought you had an alias or something, uh, like down from Thailand or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, like in terms of like, you don't need the latest technology out there. And one question is, is with this whole, you know, semiconductor shortage and all these supply chain issues, Shouldn't Apple be sort of putting a pause on their release? There's no advantage to their phone at this point. So I'm wondering, like, oh, why not pause it? Huge, it's like 50% of their revenue. So uh, it's, yeah, huge, sure. it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So for them, and nobody's getting those protection plans, apparently. So <laughs> they can't get money from that. But I always wonder, like, if, uh, you know, when people get the newest stuff, and I, I do know that that, you know, capital, you know, uh, you know, N nerd or whatever the, the term was that Tyler used. I know that that's actually a draw, but I remember that Samsung, was it the Galaxy or whatever that started causing fires in your pocket? Remember that one? I was completely turned was, off of like the newest. On airplanes. That. On airplanes, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I guys. Just, I have a question. Tyler, did you say you're not on TikTok? Correct. How are you getting all your twerking videos out? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, if, if, I'm, if I may, the IPCC report that came out and the pivot we all need to collectively cultivate would suggest that we just examine the per the person in the mirror. I'm just 
just saying, I'm just saying to just be thoughtful about that. But I'm familiar with the, the, the geek, the geek. I'm totally, <laughs> there's so many reasons to, 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 to consume like that. But I just, I just want to, if you believe that 2021 is a, is a, is a, is a year that we need to take a big breath and collectively start to move in a different direction, just, just wanted to advocate again for Mama Gaia. Yeah. And I certainly advocate for that, but just t- take a step back and think 20 years ago about all the gadgets that we had that are replaced by your phone, including all the music stuff, all the photography stuff, clocks, I mean, on and on. It, it's, uh, I, I, I don't, I've never seen it, but it'd be interesting to look at a study that says, you know, is it net positive or you know, obviously making anything. I'm a geek and I, you know, I bought the digital camera since the first, like, you know, Sony. Um, I don't know what they called it. You had to put a floppy in it. And I have not bought a digital camera since my iPhone four, you know, and that, so, so I think the thing is, is, some people are buying a new phone every year. Some people are buying a new camera, you know, at, instead of, you know, some are focused on the camera. Some are focused on the device. Some are focused on apps. Some are focused on some new killer feature. But I think if you look at the impact of not buying all those digital cameras, there's a, there's a cost there too. And then lastly, I come from that ecosystem of um, Apple MFI manufacturing. They have a very stringent supplier code of conduct. So, when you do buy Apple products, at least um, the products you're buying conform to that code of conduct, meaning, you know, no rare, no, no, lit, no um, conflict minerals, um, no child labor, et cetera. So uh, those are I'm guidelines for the front I'm, end people, right? So it's not for the, uh, the down, the no, that's sourcing. The entire, yeah. That's the entire supply entire chain. chain. Yeah, entire. no, okay. like as part of the supply but chain, if, we should be audited on a 24 hour notice if, and if present consume- everything. If consumer don't create the demand, I'm sure Apple and the other companies like that will not want to roll out their new phones every one or two years. So I think it's still back down to consumers. We have to control our habits. We should not over-consume. So but it's also Apple doing all the advertising too. And to Shell's point too, it's also Apple does this whole FOMO advertising, right? It's like, oh my God, this is like, you got this one new thing. You could actually change one thing in your phone, This which you can't do it on any other phone. And the, yeah. I'm sorry, Heyman, sorry. No, go ahead, David. No, just uh, the the right framing is we need to be thoughtful about our compute infrastructure starting this year moving forward. Be- you just we just need to period full stop. So it's not just the uh, the devices, it, um, and it's a forward looking really question, Dan. I, we, the the there's an app for that, and the the uh, the way that the um, smartphone has literally replaced so many devices is valuable to this point but you know there's billions and billions of phones but the point is we all need to be thoughtful about the footprint and the cons- the consumption what drives I, what drives our consumption that 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 culture that's that's destructive so we just all need to find our way to pivot and and, and as we move forward however actually david that's a good question though no. i mean uh sorry we are Will will VR reduce flights or travel? It has to. Right. It has well, my to point is, is so then how... shouldn't you become the biggest, shouldn't the green um, folks become the biggest amba- ambassadors of VR as, as a suitable replacement or alternative to, you know, traveling either by car or by airplane? 
Absolutely. In that context, I'm a big advocate for working from home if you can. I mean, the whole, this whole idea of the big techs trying to say everybody got to get back in the office is, is, is just absurd on the face. We need to find ways in the short term to, to build a means to be productive in a hybrid situation. But if you can be productive, work from home, you've, you, we need to just work together to, to start to pivot our culture. But absolutely, I think that the like that whole business travel space, the tourism I grew up in Las Vegas, so I, I, I feel, I understand the pain, but um, this VR stuff is pretty freaking cool. And you, you've talked about the hybrid events that, uh, that, that are being cultivated now, and it's, 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 it, it puts wind in the sail that we're going to hopefully be able to pivot and, and start to write a new chapter of how we're living and working. I agree. Okay. So then um, a couple headlines are just now, as America's waking up on the West Coast, they start doing tweeting activity right about now. And so there's a couple of new articles that are getting a lot of attention at the moment. One is about the Android 12 operating system, which just like iOS 15 that's coming out, Android 12 is about to come out. And so there's a new function in Android 12 called camera stitches, which is an accessibility feature that lets users control their Android devices using only facial movements, which is you know essentially designed for people who might be paralyzed from you know from the waist down. However, interesting to see if there will be interesting use cases that might come out of that while you're at work on your laptop and you have your phone next to you and you can essentially control it without leaving your your keyboard or your mouse. Um, or even using your voice. And then another interesting one is a Norway has a another unicorn. Holy cow! I think that's the, it might be their second or their third tech startup unicorn called Gelato, and um, it's a marketplace for printing services from everything from mugs to clothing. Raises two hundred forty million at a one billion valuation. So congrats to my uh, Norwegian friends. And where is Ellen, by the way, Heyman? <laughs> Busy working on repeat. Halfie? Yes. Halfie? No, she's actually, apparently she's finished her vacation. She will be joining us soon. Mm. Well, this is, yeah, Uh, a fair point because the Scandinavians are on their very cherished six-week summer summer. holiday, summer holiday as they do every year. Six weeks? they all get six weeks. So, um, and it's... By the way, like, we just finished our conversation about green and sustainability. And what, what do we say about like these printing items in the physical world and then sort of shipping Mm -hmm. when it should be like somewhat local, Mm -hmm. like could be have like local places where we just go to a printing shop and say, okay, we ordered it, go to this local place and pick it up. Yeah, The three, there's a bunch of startups in that space, Heyman, that are promoting local, uh, you know, printing of distributed manufacturing basically like very localized and things like that if i might be able to just add one little pin on the latest ios version what we're used to doing as well is getting new features which are awesome and empowering and helpful for what we do there's also a need for apple and those companies to also maintain support for older devices there are ways for them first of all to just accept that as a standard which would help with the sustainability but also to maintain it at least a minimal configuration of, of like apps that it, that an older phone can support, you know, it's so in any case, there's a whole business practice that, that quite frankly needs to get nudged pretty significantly. So on the working front, one of the headlines from Nikkei Asia right now is that Jap and this is Japan's kind of best uh, publication 
uh, Nikkei, saying that Japanese are working less and less survey finds. Hours on the job fall faster than any other major economy in the world. Uh, office workers to stay on the job in an, uh, yeah, time spent on the job in Japan has fallen um, by nearly three 40-hour work weeks since 2018, official data shows as government efforts to rein in unhealthy amounts of overtime kicked in and the changes forced by the pandemic further accelerated the trend. But I think it's more of a generational trend because I've been watching this for decades <laughs> as all my friends are aging uh, and have, are now in their 40s and we've been friends since we were late teenagers. And um, yeah, the, the culture is shifting away from the traditional quote-unquote salaryman um, model into much more um, gig gig style work, gig economy work that they've been doing long before that term was ever known. So um, this one from Poppy from the Wall Street Journal, the headline reads, severe drought could threaten power supplies. We've read that headline multiple times. This one has a new twist. Severe drought could threaten power supply in the West for years to come is the new additional twist because water elevation at... Um, at California's dams is uh, not only at their lowest points ever, but uh, continue to drop. And now it might take years for them to become useful again in generating hydroelectric power. So that's a new additional concerning twist. The next one also from Wall Street Journal is that quantum computing company called PSI Quantum or Psi Quantum, depending on how it's pronounced, has landed a $450 million investment from BlackRock to build uh, its quantum computer. And that's that's potentially fantastic, by the way, because quantum computers, along with genetic ed- uh, engineering, along with VR, there's some of these technologies that can truly be revolutionary and game-changing. Quantum computers, absolutely one of them. And uh, I, I'm... I, I'm optimistic. <laughs> uh, it's good to see lots of uh, huge fundraisings like that. 450 million is a lot of money that hopefully will get them to where they need to get to uh, in terms of building a quantum computer. You know, it's, it's certainly with all of that fundraising and with Google, you know, doesn't need to raise funding on their quantum computer. And um, but it looks like uh, we're making good progress on that front. Jason, you wanted to comment on that? Yeah, I just had a question about the quantum computer addition to our infrastructure mm-hmm. here when one group has the ability to compute in that in that system mm-hmm. doesn't that make the uh, the it departments of every other company worry who do not have it yes because it doesn't that make the yeah it gives asymmetrical yeah, go, advantages yeah. yes exactly right so and this is why like sam from um y combinator open he's left uh, open ai did a blog post a few months ago that in the not so distant future, if you think wealth distribution is already uh, has a, a large gap between the one percent, the haves and the have-nots, you've seen nothing yet because when quantum computer comes online, those who have it will have a wildly asymmetric advantage in generating wealth for <laughs> like a, a ten million to one. So you're going to see the haves, which will be the Googles and uh, the other, you know, big tech companies that are building these will want be have essentially a, a nuclear bomb in the age, in the bronze age era it would be almost as if ufo type technology in, you know gap um between the haves and the have nots and that means an 
by extension, uh, an economic gap that is far bigger than what we even have today. And, you know, if, for the example, the top five biggest companies are you know, by market cap, you know, are Apple and Google and Facebook and, and Microsoft. And they're all going from one trillion. They all started reaching one trillion. They're already passing two trillion. They'll very soon get to three trillion. All the other industries are have never, ever broken one trillion. And that is growing parabolically. So when quantum computers come on, they could run up to 10 trillion relatively quickly. So it's this, if you, you know, this, this friction that we're sensing between big tech and how powerful they are, you've seen nothing yet. <laughs> if, if they harness the power of quantum computers, yeah. it's, it's going to become a national, even a national security issue with the countries in the same way that we often talk about which countries are nuclear in terms of their, you know, defense systems, you know, and it's well, known. there's just a handful of them. Well, quantum computing also will be a, the handful of countries that have them, and they will have asymmetrical power over all of the others as well, economically as well. This is very analogous to, you know, especially given the who can has, has access to this. So when um, mm -hmm. machine guns came out, right, it was militaries that had it, and it gave them an asymmetrical advantage on the battlefield. But once, you know, peacetime came and the machine guns made its way into the criminal element, uh, the gangs, that really changed the game in the 20s. You know, you'd have gangs that would roll in with a machine gun or two and literally go rob the bank, get in a fight with the cops on the way out, kill all the cops and go to the next town and not be able to do anything about it. And my big concern is, yes, these large companies have this weapon, but what happens when the criminal element has quantum and can crack every password, crack every key, crack everything. Um, I think, um, you know, the governments are going to step in when that happens. The governments need to step in before that. Back in the 90s, as we were architecting a multi-device um, web experience, I was an evangelist at Sun for Java consumer stuff. I was right in the room, as it were. Um, you know, part of what we sought to do is, is uh, establish this um, this utility grade type of uh, concept. You know, we used to use the word web tone. Okay, a piece of that, or part of the attribute of that, was the personalization experience. Tech over since the beginning of tech, with the, the core value proposition, aside from everything else, is empowerment. Empowerment to do something, and to this other concept of domestication of technology is a key theme here as well. But you know, you may have heard me say things about deployment grade um, software and services. You know, with with all the cybersecurity issues, with these AI, Tyler, as you know, and you've as you've been sharing here a lot here is is the uh, the the uh, competitive uh, advantage and disadvantages is very clear with regards to the growth of this AI. But we do need to really define a means to to domesticate the equity of these new super tech, you know, exponential technologies so that everybody has access to it, not just the uh, the fang, you know, if that's something that they're they want to go run off with, we ought to have a, a word or the government should have a word about that. This should be something that's that's shared to small business and to all the consumers around the planet. If they're going to make a APIs I, I, available, basically, but that keeps the power in their hands.
You know, using Chris's uh, machine guns analogy, I think access won't be a problem. But if you look at uh, machine guns came in 1930s, but then came the AK-47, the innovation which happened with that easy access. It's it's it's, the, it's like the easiest machine gun. Even child can use those machine uh, AK-47 and they use it in Africa. Anyways, so the kind of disruptive things which people are going to build on top of it, you, with, it's, it's, an, it's unimaginable. That's that's the scary part. It's not the access, but what will people do once that access is provided to most of us? Then yeah, that's that's going to be a problem. Okay, it makes me think of the quote from Eric Severide from long ago that the chief cause of problems is solutions. <laughs> like just think, you can think of all the positive things that can come out of this, but it's hard to imagine, and there will be many many big problems that come out of it as well. So Amazon is in the news. Bloomberg's headline says Amazon funding spurs union exodus from consumer group board. Three major unions have quit the board of the nation's oldest consumer advocacy organization claiming funding from Amazon has kind of ruined the party Um, claiming uh, the funding from Amazon has compromised the group's progressive mission in a separate in separate letters last month, the president of the United Food and Commercial Workers, the Communications Workers of America, and the Auto United Auto Workers Union wrote that their groups were resigning immediately from their roles on the board of the National Consumers League, citing the Seattle-based e-commerce giant's involvement with the group. Oh, wow. So Amazon's fighting back uh, against the union's own kind of... Uh, uh, multilateral uh, organization structure. That, that's kind of wild. Um, three major unions have quit the board of uh, the kind of union of unions. The U- the United Unions. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to make a UN joke. What what UN is to countries? This would be for for unions. Interesting. So the, because Amazon's funding the UN of unions and that's causing them to resign because they want to unionize Amazon. But now in the same way that China's influencing the UN, Amazon's influencing the union of unions and it's kind of um, kneecapping them. It's kind of brilliant. Um, interesting article. Thank you for that one, Faraz. Just tweeted that one out to the Tech News Twitter account. And so the next interesting one is that from the Wall Street Journal that L'Oreal... L'Oreal's new digital chief takes cosmetics virtual as Mita Dubey is exploring how online games, augmented reality, and social media can help the French cosmetics company reach new demographics. There you go. And um, is Johan still with us from Gothenburg? Or did Johan jump out and welcome Florina? Johan, are you around? No? Okay, he sent in one about a ransomware attack on K-12 through schools. Ransomware attacks against the education sector almost doubled from 2019 to 2020 with the onset of the COVID pandemic. The cybersecurity posture of of this sector of edtech is still not sufficiently robust and hence is low-hanging fruit for threat actors. And the next one is just a quick headline from The Guardian in the UK that the U.S. could see 200,000 COVID cases a day. Again, uh, the unvaccinated are sitting ducks is uh, the quote from the director of national of the NIH, Nation, National Institutes of Health. 
pleads with Americans to get their shots as Delta variant rages ravages the country. And you were warned here in tech news around the world from Asia that Delta is a whole different thing. And let's call out specifically, because we're not used to doing that, the the youngest. Yeah. It's a new segment yes. that when we hear messages like this, we just don't think about them because during alpha and beta, they weren't uh, a big vector. But now there are real, I mean, I, what is it? Um, pediatric ICUs in, in entire states are being overran. And it's it's just keep that in mind that we've got, We've got a, you know, millions of children that are unvaccinated. Yeah, that's a good point. That Delta is causing, it's obviously affecting children more than uh, Alpha was. And um, and that is a huge concern with future variants, that they will continue to reach younger demographics. So um, Dr. Danish has an article from LA Times that is relevant to the topic. It says, major study of ivermectin. Mectin, the anti-vaccine crowd's latest COVID drug, finds no effect whatsoever. So the LA Times saying major study of ivermectin uh, touted as a treatment of COVID by the anti-vaccine crowd has no effect, according to a major study. Professor Asif, just jumping on, um, any comment on ivermectin? I think... The data, I'm not sure, but I think the data wasn't that convincing, was it? Um, in the, uh, I can't really comment okay. on it. I haven't been following. I've been following the Afghanistan because one of my staff, her family, okay, are, well, and she's been on BBC and hmm. Sky we'll get, News. So we'll get sorry. to that one mo- just in a minute. Um, sweltering heat in Hong Kong, extreme weather events worldwide signal need to act on climate change, scientists say. And that's according to the South China Morning Post. Uh, extreme weather is has wreaked havoc on livelihoods and local economies and caused billions of dollars in damage, offering clear evidence the world must act now. So just tweeted that one out. And the president of Argentina opened to adopting cryptocurrencies as legal tender. Alberto Fernandez, the president of Argentina, stated he is open to the adoption of a crypto as a legal tender in an interview this week. That was predicted by uh, Ame and myself and others that uh, we thought South, South America seems like the... Uh, where this could all kind of get a domino of world leaders down there kind of working together on that. And anyway, the next one is from South China Morning Post, and th- which is a Chinese publication. It says, why U.S.-China trade talks are f- failing to take off. And they conclude, the, in the, as a subheadline, the real complication is the lack of political motivation to push for substantial dialogue, and China's loss of hope in the U.S., say, observers. Uh, Trade is on the back burner as the two sides cross swords over security, the high-tech sector, and ideology. And this is by Wendy Wu. And I think Wendy might not have have heard uh, from the U.S. side that the U.S. is just with decoupling. We are withdrawing. It's kind of a failed marriage and we're going, we're going, we're, we're back on Tinder. And uh, that's really what's going on, Wendy. Uh, we're done. <laughs> we're domesticating um, anything that we were dependent on China for, and you're going to be all on your own to patrol your own um, imports and exports. So you better build that Navy very, very quickly. So the next big article is X from Faraz via Bloomberg. 
that ex-regulators draw top pay to help firms decode the China crackdown. <laughs> so Bloomberg, keeping up with their incredibly uh, tone-deaf uh, stance on, on the Chinese tech crackdown, where they just continue to, <laughs> to write articles they're, that they... Yeah. Tyler, they're the friend who's helping the friend um, hide the fart that they won't admit to cutting. I, uh, <laughs> so I got, you yeah. know... It's a two-man, whoever smelt it, dealt it with Bloomberg. So they say, They're just kind of playing. The headline game. says, ex-regulators earn $460,000 to help firms decode China's crackdown on big tech. Because they can't figure it out. What could possibly be driving this crackdown um, in all across China lately? Companies in China are scouring ministries and regulators for officials willing to cross over and help them navigate. Oh, now I see what they're saying. So... This what it is. Ah, this is genius, actually. Willing to cross over and help them navigate a sweeping crackdown of the private sector. So what it is is the private sector in China understands that the government is moving the markets tremendously. If they crack down on ed tech, you know, boom, you know, you billions of dollars are changing hands very quickly. The market is moving incredibly quickly at China speed, and if you can predict what the regulators are going to regulate next, you can make a billion dollars overnight. So the question is, can you get one of these influential regulators to tell you what's going to be regulated next? And if they do, that's worth a lot of money. And so ex-regulators draw $460,000 to help firms decode China's crackdown, meaning what what's going to be regulated next so that they can place their bets, uh, you know, on red or black or on the roulette table of the stock market. But but what I'm getting at is that article we read yesterday where Bloomberg was willing to go threaten people yeah. or hurt try yeah. to hurt people if they'd said anything about yeah. China really indicates that they're just playing a shell yes. game here, playing like, gee, we don't know why they're doing this. Look, let's 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 dig in. Here's why we think we think it's because they're authoritarian. Yeah. We don't think it's related to birth rate. Yeah. We you know Yeah, it's wild. And 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 like they just kind of are you know, it's like they're an uh, accomplice now is what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, you have a magician and you have someone in the crowd and it's like, um, let me pick someone from the crowd to come up here. I've never met you before. Yeah. Right. You know, New York Times, I've never seen you before. What number am I? You know, what, what number are you thinking? Yeah. I, I have a question so real quick. On Robert. This. Uh, this is Robert. How is this any different from our lobbying? <laughs> it's not. Good, good question, Robert. It's uh, same, same, but different, as we say in Thailand. Um, you know, it's the, the execution is done differently. You know, there's different ways to skin a cat, as they say, but, uh, the net result is, is obviously it has similarities. Um, and we often point that out that often a lot of this is not unique to any one country. And many of the criticisms that, you know, the headline is talking about China in this case, but, um, you know, America does it in its own way. Typically, how it's different is China just does it much more efficiently, much, much more quickly. <laughs> um, and America does it in a much more slower, drawn out legal framework uh, where, you know, there they don't ha aren't encumbered by this kind of slower, legal, overly complicated legal process where all lawyers get involved. Has to be human rights. Yeah, that that too. <laughs> so the. Uh, India is the subject of the next headline from Bloomberg about this incredibly cool electric e-scooter, which 
I love the look of this thing. I want I uh, I just tweeted it out to the Tech News Twitter account. Ola Electro Electric Mobility Company priced its electronic scooter at $1,348 in an attempt to crack the affordability barrier of electronic two-wheelers. And it's backed by SoftBank and Tiger Global. Thank God I cannot wait for this thing. Um, it looks uh, even better than the uh the it, just for those who don't know in southeast asia and asia generally these little two-wheeled scooters are oh, it, the main means of getting around anywhere throughout all of asia so um if you these are electric today they're all gas and it's the honda click is you know by far the most popular scooter on the planet and they cost about one thousand five hundred dollars they're incredibly fuel efficient. I should tell you that for, you know, for $3, you can ride for a week on these things anyway. So um, obviously a huge advantage over a car. But uh, if you could make an e-scooter and make it for the same price, even $100 less, any $100 less than the Honda Click, everyone would switch to this vehicle if it was even $100 less. So India's Ola electric e-scooter for $100 less than the Honda Click, if it has similar speed and similar power, it has a similar design. It's clearly inspired by the Honda Click design. This could be tremendous. Uh, we can see that. Then all you need is a little solar panels just to charge it at like each one of the stations or whatever. And then it's like you got a bunch of opportunities for local entrepreneurs a, to like set little charging stations. Yeah. I mean, all sorts you of You have a great point. And one of the solar panels, you can do like little cell phone chargers along with yeah. it. Life gets great. You have a really good point, which is that solar panel charging for cars, uh, you need a lot of time under a bunch of solar panels to effectively get, you know, um, cars are very power intensive relative to scooters which is why you can go for a week on three dollars of gas so you can use solar you could essentially charge the scooter anywhere where you park it when you go to the supermarket if they have an electric charger the time that it takes you to do the grocery shopping you would make up whatever energy you spent getting to the supermarket so the the electric charging stations for e-scooter bikes would be actually very useful where in cars they're not if you drive your car to the supermarket you would not replace the energy you spent in the time that you charge the car at the supermarket so this is again is why the electric scooters are so interesting also, also tyler uh, yeah these scooters are not not meant for like intercity travel they're just meant for like local travel right. so you can as well just come back to your home and charge it there is cars you go from one place like a different city and so that the whole use case is very yes different. you say that but you and i both know that or at least lakeisha and i know people often use these scooters to go from one city to another um because they have a high the high end speed is about 120 kilometers per hour about Woo! 70 miles an hour that's why i said that's the honda click that's why i'm hoping this and you mean you mean moped not like a stand-up scooter, yes. right it's like a moped oh. yeah oh, okay Beautiful. Yeah. Kind of originally based on the um, Italian mopeds. And how about how the, all those bikes that they had were clogging up the streets and everything else? And then China decided, let's get rid of all these bikes. And they did this huge campaign where they cleaned out. Oh, well, actually, the company went bankrupt, right? They cleaned out they all these bikes. They exported them they... overseas. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they even true. brought them to Stockholm, the world bikes, the kind of uh, bike sharing, electric bike sharing programs. Um, 
I had a friend that was talking saying that essentially it's the only time he's ever seen like litter on all on the streets of Singapore because all these China bikes essentially because they're like, oh yes, we'll take some bikes from you and all the sidewalks apparently for a few months. Yeah, they were really junk bikes. That's this happened in Stockholm, by the way. And the guy who was managing that whole thing it was a Chinese guy in Stockholm who made an announcement at my event that you know you can use all these bikes now in Stockholm, and it was like. It, bunch of people in the audience <laughs> jumped up to say those things are crap they don't work they're broken uh, um yeah david the in tech room but whenever you guys want heyman um so anytime okay. you guys want uh i'll be okay. over there okay take care i just wanted to just chime in on the idea that or on the point really that government has a role and just like government helps subsidize the uh deployment of the tesla cars um you know, as these bikes in lower cost uh, electric vehicles start to be available, dramatically lower, uh, the government to be equitable to the types of income levels that people um, to, to use these types of bikes, they need to really do the same thing, which is to provide a, a, some means of tax credit or something yeah. to help be equitable. That would be amazing. So, by the way, I'm on the OlaElectric.com website, and it says that the top speed is 115 kilometers per hour. So they are aiming exactly at the Honda Click specs. Which is not a surprise because that is the default vehicle for Asia. So you're going to have to make something very comparable to get people to switch over. Comes in 10 colors, large boot space. Oh, these look great. Yeah, the, the design's quite uh, stunning. So I'm tweeting out the link directly to the uh, Ola website where apparently they've now announced the price uh, 181 kilometer range. It goes zero to forty kilometers in three seconds, so it's it's the same specs. I'll take three hundred million, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll I like to race them. I want to I want to pimp it out and race it. I want, <laughs> that's what they should do. You could do a Fast and Furious that and make a movie. There you go. There's a there's a marketing campaign. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what you really need is a Disney movie. You know, is it like Luca? Essentially, is an entire movie about some kids that eat ice cream and having to be sea monsters. That's irrelevant. And their whole life dream is to basically get a Vespa, Vespa. Italian scooter. So I just need essentially is the uh, the Asian version of this, like you know, Raya Last Dragon or something, some new Disney movie. But it's all about trying to get a uh, trying to get a, a uh, an Ola electric scooter, and it's the children's entire life purpose is to buy this scooter and to do whatever it takes to get this thing. And then by the time the kids grow up, essentially the world will be solved. Climate change is a thing in the past, and life is good. You know? When I was raised, I love that I idea. I grew you up got in there Los first, Chris. It should be. It should take place in Vietnam because everybody, everybody has a scooter in Vietnam. That would be awesome. I, I grew up in. And Las they Vegas. run in all directions, fast and furious, scary. You know this whole scooter idea, Ola model. So there was a company called Ather Energy, and there was one more startup who started in 2015. I shouldn't say this, but Ola just ripped off their model, scaled it colored it and just put it out there but you have to give it to bhavish he is the guy who can scale it and uh, people can come up with a lot of innovation but no one can scale it so he did it making it cool with uh older teenagers and 20 somethings would be very very a very impactful thing to do i used to race my 69z28 in vegas in high school and there is a whole culture there that could use some reinvigoration in terms of the vehicle that people have when they're first just starting out their their adult life. I think if you go electric competitions, it needs to go the other way. It needs to see how far you can go on a kilowatt. Hey, there you go. 
I mean, like, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, speed demon competitions and, like, drag racing things. Just having, like, an endurance thing on, like, the, the, the electric scooters going, hey, I've outrided this thing. Essentially, I've modified the battery chemistry, and now I can essentially go just, you know, this amount of distance on this amount of wattage. It's on, like, Seinfeld when Kramer goes below empty, and he's like, things are never going to be the same after this. Hey, if you had enough people, like, just throwing us out there. If you had someone just completely overwhelm the market, like you kind of saw us with the Tesla or something, they kind of set the benchmark on where you have the charging stations, how far away they are, like, you know, roughly what, how much space you need between them, you know, kind of just getting that kind of thing established. If you can have an electric vehicle company or electric vehicle scooter company just overwhelm the region, there is some benefit of having some sort of pseudo standardization around that. And one of the benefits of that could literally just be essentially cultural acceptance aspects of going, oh, yeah, if I hop on my scooter, I know exactly the range I can get on that. And we can, you know, adjust the signage and the you know the things to do with that. And if it increases, it happens to increase for the entire region all at once. You know, there are some benefits to that. Okay. We got to run. Through. Uh, yes. Tyler, you need to unlock the Canadian room. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Aramco joins group building giant solar plant in Saudi Arabia, which is a kind of interesting headline. Saudi Aramco is like the world's largest oil uh, company. And to see them go big on uh, a giant solar plant in Saudi Arabia is quite interesting. Saudi Aramco is joining a group led by ACWA Power to build nearly $1 billion solar power plant in Saudi Arabia as the world's largest oil exporting nation, which is Saudi Aramco. That's the state-owned uh, um, oil company. So the next article is from Poppy via ZDNet. The headline reads, Watch out, GPT-3. Here comes AI-21's Jurassic language model by optimizing the trade-off of depth and width and expanding the vocabulary of the program. Tel Aviv startup AI-21 aims for a comparable or better results than uh, the famous GPT-3. And the next headline from Bloomberg via Faraz says, world's third busiest port remains partially shut in China. China's Ningbo Zhaoshuan container port, the world's third busiest, remained partially closed for a six-day Monday amid ongoing concerns over uh, COVID was the reason last week. Um, and then... Uh, been closed for six days, sparks concerns that Delta could fuel port disruptions elsewhere. As China battles with Delta, we're now going to see supply chain um, friction due to the shutdowns and, and with China's, th the world's third largest port. Google and Facebook new cable to link Japan and all the other countries in Asia, basically, is the headline from Bloomberg, uh, which will happen in 2024. If, 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 sorry, yes. Tyler, the room is still locked. Um, then he screwed it up because I opened it. <laughs> I don't know, I went there, it's still locked. Then he, anyhow, then, anywho, um, nope, it's not locked. I just went there, it's okay. locked, and he says it's locked. Yeah. Then he can delete the room and well, he and reopen it. Can you jump in and come yeah. back again? Uh, can you check it now, Cheryl? Okay. Yep. So the next one is Shashua's. Yeah, that's the lab I was talking about, the AI21 lab. We got that one. Mukesh Ambani's Reliance Retail is the second fastest growing retailer in the world and has been, yeah, second fastest growing retail in the world in the 2021 ranking of the global retail powerhouses by Deloitte. 
and Paytm looks to become a super app, which is India's big fintech app, which is doing this remarkably huge IPO. 700 developers are work, currently working on its mini app store and will touch two to 3,000 developers by the year's end. Makes perfect sense because if you are the country's biggest fintech app, you can then reach out to all the other app makers in India who need to connect to your fintech payment solution like the Uber of India and the food deliveries of Uber, all of them are going to want to be bundled into your fintech super app to make it really easy because that's what happened in China when WeChat and Alipay became the super apps of China um, once they added in the fintech layer into the app. So it's, you get this bundling effect in Asia that we don't yet see in the U.S. because we don't really have a dominant fintech app in the U.S. yet or in Europe. But when we do you better believe it'll follow the same kind of route that China has now done for many years that India is now doing with Paytm, where once you have a, a, an app that becomes the default way that people pay, all the other apps will start bundling directly into it and creating a super app. And that's what Paytm's doing. Not much a surprise if you understand how. For the, for the Americans, like, would you say that this is like Venmo right now? Probably the closest thing. Um, for the Americans in the crowd? or I guess, but it's still got a long way to go before it... For example, Alipay and WeChat Pay is how people pay for anything, even in physical stores. So you walk into a 7-Eleven or a McDonald's or Nordstrom's or anything at Starbucks, and when you pay, you don't take out your wallet and pay cash. You open your WeChat app or your Alipay app, and you show the the cashier, a QR code on your phone, the cashier scans your QR code, which then takes the money from your account. That's how it works. So that only works if you are a fintech app that can I ties to your bank account or to your digital wallet or whatever. I don't think Venmo is doing that at the moment. So okay. as soon as an app does that, Paytm is doing that in India. And just like as in China, so now that QR code that you can lift up and show, that could also handle payments for so many other things, like for other apps built into your super app ecosystem. And so that's what has been going on for many years in China is now starting with now that Paytm is doing that super app uh, and is the default payment app uh, for a lot of Indians. And then, like I said, when, when an American app becomes technically the payment layer for the digital wallet, Google tried to make a digital wallet. Apple tried to make a digital wallet. So far, they're not really getting mass adoption. So as soon as one of them does, um, and it will likely be not Apple and not Google and not Facebook, it'll be an independent app because those those Where? ecosystems don't play well with each other. So Apple, it, you know, if you use the Apple one, it's not compatible with the others. And you need one that is like Dropbox is independent that works on all of the platforms. And that's why Dropbox is bigger than Apple's iCloud drive or whatever, because it works across all of your devices. If you have Google devices and Microsoft devices and and Apple devices, it works on all of them. That's what you're going to need for the fintech app to work on all of them. And that's why the big tech companies in America who have all the power have not been able to do it because they're all their own entrenched walled gardens and they're not playing friendly with each other. So you're going to need an independent one to do it. 
Tyler, and you know I, what I'm looking forward to is a future where we're talking about this with the tech companies like the, 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 the Netflix and the Google and the Facebook and the Apple. I'm looking forward to a future where it's going to seem as anachronistic as talking about, oh, yeah, like the MSN and the Prodigy Networks. Man, you've really essentially got to see what they're doing with the Usenets. You know, I'm looking forward to when we have these tech giants have like more of a background role rather than the underpinnings of everything geopolitics these days. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to see what that transition mm-hmm. looks like because I'm not seeing that pathway right now. But I don't know, like in history, historically, there's there's an interesting kind of rise and fall in a lot of these narratives. Yeah. Another missing piece, like like I don't use Zelle because last year when I called, the, the, the customer service was beyond abysmal as a financial, quote unquote, fintech company. They they had no ability to track a transaction whatsoever that was already in process. So there there's some really basic fundamental trip ups that these companies are doing still. Yeah, it's user experience. Zelle is total garbage. I mean, it's it, just designed they, by a bank. Basically, that says it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the real layer to the market is, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but like in America, at least the credit card processing industry is huge. Like um, it's not uncommon for one restaurant to maybe go through two or three because um, one processor offers them like a 10 cent discount or something like that. So I'm sure whatever approach is going to, you know, propagate the most, they're going to have to start by winning over, you know, the processors. Okay. Next. I think this is what, isn't this what uh, Jack Dorsey is working on? But it's all, it's all decentralized. He's now adding Lightning to. Let me, I, I explained this when we met last about eight hours ago, and I should find the tweet and do it. I will find the tweet so you, that you can see it with your own eyes. Jack, um, I could go chronologically. What's the best way to say this? Uh, just to jump to the end conclusion, I can make an incredibly obvious prediction based on uh, the evidence that I've noticed at hand, which is that he's going to add Lightning to the cash app wallet so that people can can every twitter account will soon have a cash app wallet which cash app wallets accept bitcoin and by adding lightning he will then use that uh, bitcoin lightning layer as the as a preferable transaction layer for twitter users as twitter becomes an e-commerce platform in many various ways i did this rant is everyone getting like 10 cents of coins or something to spend just to start to, yeah, to buy some stuff? Yeah, possibly. Um, so let me let me pull this up, kind of the evidence and the receipts that uh, this is all quite verifiable. I expect a formal announcement soon, although he can't get any more obvious than what he's already been over the weekend. If you, not his own tweets, but the responses to other people, um, uh, he just did a tweet. Has anyone made a block clock like iOS widget? Um, one of his, he, he's already saying, um, um, here, where's the, where did the tweet go? Right here. Where you're, um, I tweeted it out earlier today. Basically, the um, Twitter is about to become e-commerce. And in fact, it's testing it on multiple fronts. So it's testing simultaneously with 12 different major retailers like Lululemon and whatnot. Uh, on, on these 12 special retailers, there's now a section above their top tweet, but below their Twitter bio, 
where there is now a swiping carousel of products that they can sell with with it shows a photo and a buy button and you can click it and buy it without ever leaving Twitter. Okay, that's nice. That obviously that will work and they're going to expand that to everybody and you're going to be able to pick which products you want to put there and in fact products that you tweet about um likely can appear there and you can get a commission for any product that you're talk about. Uh, if people who follow you click on your version of it, it'll have this automatic, uh, so everyone will be incentivized, um, kind of like an affiliate um, code will be added automatically. So anyway, there's that. That's kind of very traditional e-commerce. And then you have also have um, their version of Clubhouse, which they call Twitter Spaces, which are going to have uh, paid what they call ticketed spaces. So people would pay to enter your rooms and those are going to creators will be paid for those. So hold that idea. And then you've got um, super followers, which are your super fans who are paying for your exclusive content. Think porn for porn stars who are going to sell directly to the people who are their fans or anyone else with exclusive content that people are willing to pay for. So those are three totally different ways that and then you have tip jar. So that's four which is also going to be on Twitter, testing that on Twitter as well. Matter of fact, I have it on my Twitter account right now. You can leave me a tip on Twitter right now today. So um, those are... They'll probably use their ad network to take um, just those types of currencies too and then pay pay those currencies. I didn't think about that because Twitter is a big ad network. But those four different types of payments that I just went through, and there's others as well. The question is when the Twitter account receives those funds how and where will those funds go exactly and twitter's ceo jack dorsey also has another fintech company which is wildly more (laughs) successful and has a much higher market valuation now than even twitter called square and square has an app called the cash app and the cash app takes bitcoins the problem is uh at jack's tweet by the way just to say that is he believes uh lightning will enable the currency for the internet and lightning is what expert makes bitcoin more fast uh, lightning fast transactions of bitcoin it's just it's kind of a settlement process that makes tr- transacting in bitcoins incredibly fast and efficient and he believes light as he just responded to somebody over the weekend lightning will enable the um Oh, not uh, lightning to enable a currency for the Internet or is his exact quote. Somebody tweeted out over the weekend. Why would you focus on lightning for NFTs when Ethereum is a platform that is a mature and everyone is using NFTs? And he responds, not focusing on lightning for NFTs, lightning to enable a currency for the Internet, because he's been expressing his fondness for lightning. And this person who tweeted is an idiot and thinks that he's using Lightning for Ethereum. He's not. He's using Lightning for Bitcoin in his Cash App wallet, if you've been paying attention. And so no offense to the idiot who asked that stupid question, but Jack uh, correctly corrected you and explained why he's interested in Lightning. It's not about NFTs at all. It's to enable the currency of the Internet, which is Bitcoin, in his Cash App wallet. Because every Twitter account will now... You'll wake up tomorrow and you'll have your own Cash App account that you just click a button to enable and it'll store Bitcoins. And once he gets Lightning tied to the Cash App wallet, he even went so far as to announce his fond affections for what's called Moon Wallet, M-U-U-N, which is basically the Cash App, but uh, also handles Bitcoin with Lightning. 
And it makes it so people can trade, you know, with, with essentially no fees, incredibly fast, internationally, magically on across the whole Internet, which he thinks is fantastic. He even said that himself to Elon Musk in their conversation. He's got other tweets as well. When you read them all collectively, you understand what he's really doing. And in fact, I know this because I did an interview with Twitter's chief financial officer, Ned, in Twitter spaces with Cheryl and May in the room. And I said, Ned. Am I crazy to think that in the near future, Twitter will, this was, by the way, four or five months ago, and four or five months ago, before Twitter ever announced they were going to become those four payment systems I just described, none of them existed. And I said, hey, Ned, you're the chief financial officer of Twitter. You're a smart guy. Twitter's going to become an e-commerce platform. That's obvious to anyone who really knows what's happening globally with tech. And when it does, and it now is, by the way, five months later today in August, all those four versions are now being live tested as we speak. In fact, like I said, you can go to my Twitter account and pay me right now if you want. So the point is, I said to Ned, hey, Ned, when all of this happens, how, might it be possible that Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, uh, will have to figure out how, what kind of digital wallet will receive the funds when people are selling stuff and receiving tips and doing all this stuff on Twitter? And isn't it uh, likely that he will use the Cash App wallet, which he's the CEO of that other company, Square. Seems like the most logical integration possible. And this Cash App does handle Bitcoin. I said to Ned, I said, Ned, so if the Cash App handles Bitcoin, which it does, and the Bitcoin, uh, the Cash App wallet becomes the default wallet for every Twitter account user who's selling their products and services on Twitter, then wouldn't Bitcoin become the likely uh, currency of, you know, at least the Twitter part of the internet. And he said, oh, that's a very interesting question. And with a bit of a laugh in his, in his response. And, um, and we, he's giving me other reasons to confirm that indeed this is what they've been planning all along. And now Jack's admitting it on his Twitter account, if you read between the lines. So this is coming. And if it is coming, wouldn't then if once Twitter announces this, that Bitcoin through Lightning through the Cash App wallet becomes the default payment for for all of the transactions in Twitter, might that likely have upward pressure on the price of Bitcoin? And the answer is yes, it likely will. And then if you know you're Jack Dorsey and you know you're about to make a big announcement that's going to push the price of Bitcoin up, wouldn't you then spend all of your money on Bitcoin today knowing it might go up 10% next week when you make this big announcement? And the answer is yes, you just might do that. And that might be what's driving the price of Bitcoin up uh, over the past few days. May possibly my own little conspiracy theory but um make no mistake uh he's adding lightning to the cash app wallets and they're gonna make all this will be coming um will be announced in the very near future but you didn't hear it from me so the next uh headline is from mahogany from the new york times that uh now going viral meeting online friends in real life that's the hot new thing. Mar Marissa Mayes became a TikTok meme after her friends excluded her from a birthday party. She decided to do something about it. And now you can see a photo of her in Central Park with her dozens of virtual friends um, meeting online friends in real life. There is a release of going out to see new people and experiencing new faces being locked in your house for months on end is the New York Times article. The next one is from Jeff Carroll um, from the Washington Post. That Bloomberg's business in China has grown. That could create unprecedented um, um, 
kind of a, a, a conflicts of interest, <laughs> basically, uh, unprecedented entanglements, as it says, if he is elected president. So the Washington Post, which is uh, Jeff Bezos, if I'm if I remember correctly, um, is saying in their political section, Bloomberg's business in China is grown and that could create unprecedented entanglements if he's elected president or if he runs for president, because indeed he's got uh, a little too much economically wrapped up in China and um, quite interesting point indeed. The Mike Bloomberg, one of the richest people in the world, has years has for years cultivated his relationship with Chinese leaders and built his business there. So no doubt they'll be funding him in the next election. Uh, that's an easy prediction. So the next one, yeah. it, it uh, happens, you know, it, it, as as it wanton happens. <laughs> you know. uh, so what was the name of the firm that doesn't seem to give fair or balanced coverage yeah, about called, China? It's topics? called Bloomberg. Just <laughs> maybe a coincidence. The next article is from CNET that live murder hornets sighted in the U.S. for the first time in 2021 native to Asia. These fearsome insects have been sighted a few times in Canada and the U.S. over the last two years. And uh, now they're appearing more frequently in the U.S. Murder hornets. Hey, hey, hey more more biofun. I mean, I can only imagine what 2022 will bring. You know? Turtle Tree uh, Labs prepares to commercialize its first human cell-based milk product are you ready to start drinking nestle will love this if you think cow milk is good wait till you try breast milk you 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 grew up with it you loved it and now we figured out we had lab grown beef and chicken and fish and now we really figured out the genetic engineering fun stuff tyler tyler Incoming China money in five, <laughs> four, three, two, one. Oh my no, gosh! Yeah. This, is a, this is one of those things. This is there's like a there's a list. You can put down like twenty or thirty things where if you have any breakthroughs or any kind of discoveries or any type of advancements, it has huge implications for pregnancies in six months. If you, can, <laughs> you know the difference between someone that is basically breastfeeding versus you're on on formula, it literally affects your ability to have children. So this is one of those things. Expect some random interesting headlines from this about fifty billion dollars related to yeah, some geopolitics. Tree, tr- Turtle Tree Labs is about to get a mysterious donation of fifty billion dollars for half the company. Something. Yeah. By, and by the way, there's a thing called milk fabric. So there's a, a German fashion designer who makes clothes from milk. It's actually from 2011. This is not really new, um, but it's it's supposed to feel like silk. And it's made from high concentrations of the milk protein mm. casein. Um, so yeah, Amy uh, Ma is in the room, right? I think you might be um, interested in looking so into that too. And then, I'm sorry. And then going back to work is a huge deal. You know, as a as a parent of three, when my wife goes back to work, she's got a pump. She's got to, you know, take time out. I have to go meet her to grab the milk. Um, you know, this is a big deal. And then there's lots of mothers who have challenges early on. Mm. even producing milk so this is a big bigger big than you deal think for, uh, bigger, it's not just for kids check this out it says the biotech startup based um yeah singapore. from singapore oh and, and in the u.s is on a mission to unlock the key ingredients from human milk to enhance infant and elderly nutrition and nourish athletes nutrition nutrients in human milk are especially beneficial for strengthening immunity improving gut health and boosting brain development from Turtle Tree. When, when we but had our baby. Like a character on the boys, his name was Mother's Milk or something like that. It's like now it's, it's going to be a whole. Be a so whole hold on, Cheryl. Would you drink lab-grown 
human milk. No. Why not? Or feed it to your kid is the problem, I, if, too. If somebody gave me breast milk, now real breast milk, I would not drink. To it's not real breast milk. It's lab-grown breast milk. Still, we can put great logos on the if side. If I can't drink cow milk, I would just drink soya milk. Takes all the fun out of it. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Flash your mics if you would drink lab-grown breast milk. Evan, Jason, Gabby. I try it. (laughs) For me, for me, it was. It's got to be Kardashian. It's got to be Kardashian. I always got asked. Oh my god! Oh my god! Jason is genius. Jason's right. Kim Kardashian's going to be the first one all over this to have her own Kim Kardashian branded breast milk. But, but, no, but that's her. the point. Is who is it from? Is is it's going to be a important <laughs> drink, branding drink my point? Milk. But this, <laughs> after a couple, after and a generation, milk bar will pick it up, and there will be um, human milk breast, uh, oh! breast milk ice cream. I'm waiting for the breast cheese. Hi, hi, Kim. A long time fan, long time drinker of your milk. I just have to say. There needs to be strawberry and chocolate varieties, guys, at baseline. There's that cereal bar, too, you know, in New York. I was just thinking when you said milk bar, there's that cereal one, too. Yeah. Can you That's imagine exactly if you thinking. want soy regular or boo? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, want, yeah. I want my artificial, artificially lab-grown, organic <laughs> human breast milk from whatever material. I, I, just, I just want genetically enhanced hips. That's it. That's it. From the breast milk. As this continues, we'll have a couple chapters where this does get the right go-to-market. But this is a huge problem for dairy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you like monster. No, but serious. No, right. I mean, this is tectonic. So I, I, when we had our kid, we the, the whole milk thing is a big deal. Whether you know whether the the mom can breastfeed and all that. That's that is huge. But if if there is a way to provide this credibly in ways, whether it's the you know Kardashian or somebody or, or David, the mother. But what about yeah? Like the chess champion Magnus from Norway, wouldn't his mother then have really valuable milk that she could sell if you wanted, oh. or if you, if you know, like some, elite, yes. you know, like um, you know, a LeBron James' mother might you know offer her breast milk, and people would pay a real premium to have you know Tiger Woods's <laughs> mother's breast milk for their kid. How about if, if, if she can still make that happen, or <laughs> all she needs to do is invest. Or, so Tyler, this is a—it's a real thing. There are women who overproduce breast milk and actually wind up donating the excess milk. But right? now and they then can. There's, but, <laughs> go ahead. They can take an ownership stake. But now Sorry, they can have their own go. NFT of their breast milk, um, <laughs> and have it delivered. You know, in thirty minutes through Amazon, and you could use. Likewise, you could use drone. your Twitter account to sell your breast milk. But my point is, you could also have it based on a flavor profile because some people are going to have remarkably good breast milk for cheeses as you said you know and you'd have a whole no it depends on what right. you eat well yeah it's it's not just the the person it probably has something to do with that but also the biomass the what it's right. fed and i was actually thinking about doing something about like this in in 2019 just with all of the biomass i hope to grow uh because in terms of 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 um the the energy 
the biodynamics of energy, you know, going from primary producers to uh, dairy products, it's really energy intensive, you know, apart from all of the um, impacts of, of agriculture and cows. And so this is the future. This is the way we support a larger human population. Things like uh, lab-grown milk, lab-grown dairy, lab-grown beef, uh, other meats, even lab-grown fish. Eli, you hit the nail on the head because what is, I'm sorry, what Dan says is that it's, it's the dairy industry that is the biggest contributor to global warming, right? So if we switch the dairy industry to the human milk industry, where we may or may not be a little bit more efficient with our use of inputs, um, that could shift the ball on global warming too. And I'll shut up. I, I, I well, there, 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 there are major contributors. I, I, I just invited Dr. Janelle, who is supposed to be a breastfeeding specialist. Okay. Philip? Didn't Tyler say before about cows in space for this very reason? <laughs> and it's the methane that they produce that is the problem, right? So do we have any knowledge that, you know, mothers are more or less gassy <laughs> when they're producing well, milk? The, I don't know. Like, is there going to be a babies. Different kind of stomach. But the know? mothers wouldn't produce it. It would be, it would be made in a lab, but based on their, their genetics, essentially. And we Dr. can make milk in the lab, too, just like cell-based meats. And so it changes Dr. the whole story once that happens. Yeah, Dr. Janelle, you coming later this decade. Yes, this is awesome. Um, thank you for inviting me. This is uh, Dr. McLean in the mighty Midwest of Ohio. I do work in this area of breastfeeding, so it's interesting that this topic will come, out, come up out of all things. And, um, the, you know, the area of concern for particularly for breastfeeding is that, you know, a lot of the times the the new, the, the protections and the antibodies are regional. Right. So uh, breastfeeding in Africa and the protections against malaria are different than, you know, uh, protections in um, Ohio or Michigan. So it's it'll be interesting if this is developed in a lab and how it distributed. And we have a challenging time enough having moms, you know, go to uh, milk banks or um, actually milk share in those kind of areas. So it'll be interesting on how this sort of develops and plays out in the technological mm -hmm. space. And if I can say there is actually wearables like the willow which i actually used um right after maternity leave coming back to work it's completely wireless and it fits within a woman's bra uh, and is almost undetectable i mean you, there's only a very slight whirring that you hear but you, i could literally you can literally be pumping as you work so that would be an interesting way to help scale something like this no, I don't think people are going to want actual milk that comes out of actual humans. But they, if it's genetically constructed, just like the lab-grown red meat and lab-grown <clears throat> chicken that is basically chicken cells and and beef cells that are cultured and grown, it would you could essentially do the uh, same with milk. And I think that would remove for a lot of people the the you know you get all the benefits without the kind of moral same with red the red-grown lab meat is. You get some, many of the benefits without the moral issue of killing a, a cow or ever, ever having a cow be part of the process. 
you know, and the Unibar can... was obsessed with this hor- horrifying dystopia vision of the future where, like, you know, mankind merges with machines and no longer has control of its destiny and it's like this ultimate dystopia. I think the real thing we're going to end up getting is going to be something just really bizarre. <laughs> like, when you start looking at these sort of things, oh, yeah, we can have synthetic chickens and meat and, and, and breast milk and everything else. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's not all terrible. It's not all amazing. It's just really weird. Yeah, but hasn't, it, that, it, been, um, hasn't that been, like, a sci-fi staple for many years with the food processors, you know, where, like, like food just sort of gets synthesized automatically and no one yeah. cooks anymore? So I feel like, you know, that... It's probably started like this, so. but, but it could actually like taste good. That's the part that's really exciting. That's the that's a and groundbreaking part. Like all the sci-fi movies in the seventies and eighties. Now we're looking at it going, hey, we gotta make some this stuff may be pretty amazing. Soylent green. So so there are actually no, but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We could take this one final step further because, and this is a wild one. How many of you would potentially eat human meat? If the lab grown human meat, no, no human oh, was involved no. in the no process. There is a bad reason for this. That's just prion stuff. Because then you could ethics. actually, if you were a big fan of LeBron James, and you could actually have LeBron James steaks, and he could promote them. Oh, you like a comment on this? Uh, like a yeah. new, new meaning to steaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, and would would subway potentially upgrade their meatballs <laughs> there are so many reasons not to do this the main one is prions but there are others um and it's gross uh, yeah and plus you know it's it's crossing a certain moral line that that there is no reason to cross and let's let's turn away fast the most immediate the most immediate um thing that you could do with human tissue uh, bioprinting would be testing drugs testing like uh mm-hmm. therapies right and that would be the that would be the way to, to help us get to like cancer uh, cures faster, much faster, without having to harm animals or people. So and, human meat's great, just don't eat it. Growing organs from your own stem cells is already under development, and that that will be very beneficial. Yeah. Well, I'm... and we laugh, but Michael Jordan's mom did say she breastfed Michael Jordan. So yeah. there you go, Tyler. So uh, I think there's a huge market there. And I want uh, to coin her breast milk and <laughs> uh, mint it, and so you know I could get we could all have an equity stake in in different breast milks. But anyway, the most maternal reaction can now be basically a subject of capitalism. There's going to be no social commentary in this whatsoever. I was just going to accept it. They're going to take the branding because it's so awesome. No one's going to have any long think pieces about this whatsoever. It's going to be still, great. Still, well, Michael used to say, you know, as long as it's not human, uh, he didn't he didn't want to know what the meatballs were at Subway. But anyway. So the the next article, the headline reads, is Silicon Valley is broken. Instead of building transformative tech, um, the industry now it jumps on useless fads. Here's who to blame for the fall of America's tech industry. And that might give us a chance to play our favorite game of Tech News Jeopardy, but we can't because it's paywalled. But, uh, um, well. Rent extraction, the future. Um, It's coming... So Tyler, what I'll do is I'll um, just cut and paste the first, you know, paragraph, and I'll usually find it alternatively. Yeah. So I just tweeted that one out from Business Insider. The next one's about the Taliban. China's state media 
mocked the U.S. withdrawal in Afghanistan, saying that the Taliban takeover was more smooth than the presidential transition in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. That's actually pretty good. Well done, China. Slam gaslighting. Oh, man. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) When did did the Chinese government get a humor? I mean, actually, that, that tells you a little bit about how the, the, the small differences between the government we had and the Taliban, if you think about it. Uh, okay, I mean, we have had a few, I, I, just, I, just, I might be misremembering this because I've seen a lot of misinformation, you know, the things. I think we've had a few less beheadings, but at the same time, you got to admit, that's a really good one-liner, regardless of whether or not it's true. I love I love the coverage. <laughs> the, f- the thing is, is we n- we never had. A I, good I, I think China is doesn't quite realize how uh, immune Americans are to g- good uh, jokes like that. <laughs> so, um, sarcasm and irony. No, we much. we can appreciate the joke and. Um, no, we love I, it. We love it. It's if, like, if, yeah, if, I like keep you. Keep it coming, China. Like that, it, we keep just, it coming. We should pay pro- China to make more propaganda, and it's going to be that. We just consume it as entertainment. Well, they do have... A, I mean, just if we could do that, like, yeah, every day. They do have a laugh factory of a million people um, on the east part of China. A-B testing. The Americans <laughs> must laugh. <laughs> now, the, they could, uh, you know, force the crowdsourced, uh, you know... Um, yeah, when you've got a million people writing your jokes, you know, because Saturday Night Live has, you know, about 15 writers to write all those jokes every week. China does have a million Uyghurs that they could employ to. uh, And by the way, whoever gets the best joke, you know, gets to reunite it with their family. Um, You know, that's some pretty good. You could come up with an amazing comedy show. We, we, That's we the show called The Life Is Right. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just curious if they can take it, you know, the same way that they dish it out. If you can dish it out, I, hey, we're all, we're all in favor of it. Feel free to dish it out. <laughs> Has Tyler been drinking huh? tonight? Has Tyler been? Drinking no, tonight? I'm just saying. I'm just curious if they're able to take it the same way they give it. That's all I'm saying. So. It's like just it's like Uyghur camps. I spent a a week there one month. So anyway. So it's a unique thing about us is that we can laugh yes. at ourselves. That's what makes yeah. the difference. No, that's my point. Like, feel free to join into the joke party. We can, you know, if you if you guys want to jump into that game, we can play that game. So, so, so just as a really brief thing. So, there's a movie. Called no, by Cold. the way, uh, CNN actually has uh, admired Taliban for wearing mask before the attack. And, uh, just a joke on the anti-vaxxer and. It's a, it's a joke on US, and, and none of those anti-vaxxers could take that joke. Uh, the US anti-vaxxer could take that joke in that spirit. So the next headline is that Beijing, oh, this is quite interesting. Poppy sent this one in from the UK. South China Sea, Beijing tracking other countries with satellites and underwater systems in the South China Sea. China... Um, is, quote-unquote, spying on other countries in the South China Sea through satellites, man-made islands, and underwater systems. And then we covered Silicon Valley is broken. We covered that one. Terrascope describes as the, as the first AI-based real estate agent to find and browse rural par- properties online. And the co-founder, Kei Han Zhou, talks about shopping for rural land in the help of machine learning technology. And Musk says Starship Orbital Stack to be ready for flight in a few weeks. 
Check out the images. Yeah, they're they really amazing. Are. Ch- children hospitalized with COVID in U.S. hits record number. The number of children hospitalized in the U.S. hits a record high of just over 1,900 on Saturday as hospitals across the South Uh-oh. are now uh, full in the ICUs for their kids. Why AI is being used to write adverts. Advertisers are increasingly using AIs to come up with their winning slogans. And, well, it's because they're, yeah. So, so GPT-3 basically slave to A-B testing and omniscient data sources means that essentially we're never going to basically be a walk away from anything that doesn't know our intimate souls that can basically algorithmically target the exact thing of our brains that can basically type out the do- dopamine. It's kind of like we have right now with less human intervention. So essentially whenever you're able to basically have free will again, it's going to be great. A lot of branding is a semantic kind of, you know, exercise, you know, so something we'd mentioned earlier about you know the graphic designers are on notice it looks like you know (laughs) other parts of ad agencies would be as well um if we can just go back to the kid thing really quickly um i don't know if anybody saw this that uh so it's it's um it's on the rise um significantly um primarily i think between eight and 12 year olds but it's going down to younger kids too and they have no idea what the impact of long COVID is in florida desantis said um, absolutely no school mandates requiring um, social distancing or um, or masks. And the schools are trying to impose it themselves. And, um, and DeSantis said that he would withhold funding from any school who tried to impose a mask mandate. So um, Biden just this morning released a statement saying that federal um, funding would be available for those schools who lost state funding. I think they should take away the state funding altogether. Um, like the federal government should say no, no, uh, you know, no road funding or anything like that. If you if you impose that mask, um, uh, anti-mask man- mandate. Cool. One of the systemic things that needs to be put that needs to be set forth is a, an accountability for elected officials and actually even medical professionals, licensed medical professionals who misinform or have power like this. So something more direct would be something right, right, holding DeSantis personally responsible for the outcome that he's cultivating. Something right. You're actually rewarding. (laughs) You're rewarding them by giving them federal aid for, for that. So. That, yeah, that's why they should they should not have federal aid. But but to David's point, didn't they actually um, that there was a punishment for that woman in Kentucky who didn't give a license to a gay couple that wanted to get married, and and she was she was held personally liable for um, for not complying with uh, with mandate with a with a formal mandate. So there is some precedent for holding people personally liable for enacting their own views over you know um, over law. Um, if there was a federal mask mandate, I don't know why that still hasn't happened. If there was a federal mask mandate, then clearly all of this would be illegal. But um, I call the U.S. Constitution. And that's why, because the states have powers, actually, whether we like it or not. They have some powers. So that 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 that, that would go to the Supreme Court in some carve outs. They have powers and then others they don't. That, that would be mutual. Yeah, but guys, we, we wouldn't have there. we wouldn't have the current administration if that was the case, if that if that new law you're talking about was implemented. Yeah, but those they were both they were both saying they wouldn't take a vaccine under Trump and and wouldn't recommend it to anybody. So is is that is that misinformation or was that accurate? What's your point? I, I'm I'm confused. I'm sorry. What ex- I didn't I don't understand what you're saying. Well, 
aren't we trying to suggest that we get vaccines? Isn't that the purpose? And by, by we, those we, two we're individuals about said that. Yeah, but they're about, to impose, they're about to impose vaccine mandates, and most businesses are. The second it gets FDA approved, there will be mandates. You watch it happen. Well, I'm People not sure why it hasn't happened yet. I'm not sure why it hasn't happened yet, because there is a great amount of precedence for um, for federal jurisdiction over things that it's got. It's under the dormant commerce clause of all things, but of um, uh, the federal government having jurisdiction over things that are not necessarily commerce related. But they have um, like like uh, all the FDA regulations on like the the processing of chicken and things like that, that that cross state lines. That's all uh, part of this rule. So they can actually make health mandates that um, even if the entire process takes place within one state because of this particular clause that's been used many times. Right, just so it clears out there that those mandates have been misused historically, but here's the problem. So the people that don't want the vaccines, the longer they draw this thing out, the more that it's going to basically get worse and worse for everyone. And I don't just mean like as a threatening thing. I mean, like literally our legal systems start to decay when you start basically using more and more of these like more authoritarian things. The thing is that the simplest way of, I've ever been able to basically reason this out is, look, we're all getting it. The rich people are getting it. The poor people are getting it. The super elite people are getting it. The people in poverty in the middle of nowhere are getting it. The people that are super medically informed are getting it. It's, it's like it's, this, is, this is one of those, like, we're all, this is a collective fuck up. The thing is, the next one that comes, I don't know, 10, 20 years from now, we might actually but, need to have some of these legal things for it. But the, the, in order to basically have this, we need to really get this thing solved and do it so quickly. But I don't know. That, that's a longer topic. I don't want to take us too long off track. And, and Matt, to Matt. Alexandra's Matt. point, um, it was the Commerce Clause was also used for school desegregation, which is about as controversial. So something else that is not often talked about right now, and I actually tweeted this out, um, healthcare workers on the front line says there's another frightening prospect looming. There's a surge of children diagnosed with a combo of COVID-19 and RSV, which is Ooh. respiratory syncytial. Yeah. Oh, my God. So this is uh, this is particularly um, uh, is. of concern, it's... especially for me as a mother of a toddler, because the, the symptoms can just be regular cold-like and flu-like or, or bronch... Um, bronchitis-like symptoms, but also the, ch- the children can just stop breathing. So um, just suddenly yeah, this stop This is breathing. being so reported. This, this is being infection... covered quite uh, by the big yeah. publications. The New York Times is saying that okay. the this is a huge, tremendous new development because it's starting in Texas right now where the ICUs are seeing these, I forget what they call them, co-infections or something like that, where normally if children get this respiratory uh, dis- illness, yeah, exactly. And, and they normally get it in September, October when they start going back to school or whatnot in the fall. However, when they have only that traditionally, they manage, they usually survive it. The problem is, is now that if they have COVID, even though they may be asymptomatic COVID, the combination of COVID and this respiratory virus becomes deadly quite quickly. And that's what the headlines are kind of drawing attention to. RSV generally requires hospitalization. My young, my oldest had it when she was one month old, and it is—it's brutal. That so that by itself is really brutal. They have—I mean, they—that you can see how much they work to suck in air. It's—it's it's actually really dangerous. So have, having a COVID on top of it, I, I can't even imagine. Adults can get it too, right? It's not just kids. The the, the rationale by anybody trying to say you don't that they don't appreciate or don't want to comply with a mask mandate is is rationally just just it's irrational 
We, we enforce the use of uh, seat belts. We enforce the use the, of uh, not drinking when you're driving. And statistically speaking, this is much more deadly. So the mask is the first line of defense. I have no idea why we don't, we haven't enacted the War Powers Act to deliver masks, N95 quality masks to every friggin' household here in the States. P100s. Okay, or a P100 mask, but just a mask that works, right? They should be delivered to, to each of us. There have been countries, there are great success stories in Taiwan, New Zealand, where, you know, they really did a great job in terms of suppressing this, this pandemic that we're in. So, you know, mask it up, show some compassion. We can get through this. I, the five to 10 year horizon, Chris, I, I think you're just talking about the gamma or theta or whatever version of this that's going to be completely not, it's, 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 we're not, we have no vaccine. It's going to be a complete reset of, of what, what the situation is that we're in. Hey, there's an outbreak of Marburg right now. Well, can I just make a quick, a quick point here? Someone who studied political mm-hmm. science and you know it's been in government in terms of these federal U.S. federalism issues. First of all, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education wasn't a Commerce Clause issue; it was a violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. So there was no Commerce Clause issue, um, and and that's how they imposed it on uh, you know school desegregation on states. Um, but there's actually um, a whole. Lit- uh, litany of Supreme Court cases that, quite frankly, um, go either way on the federal government's right to uh, impose things on states. And I, I don't particularly like how they did it, but because it leaves a lot of gray area. But the basic rule, OK, that they came up with is that the federal government um, can require states to do things like if the federal government gives you know states money only if it's not. And this is the te- technical term, not coercive. So, for example, they upheld the federal government's right to um, not give highway funds to states unless they, um, you know, change the drinking law age to, um, you know, to whatever, 21 or whatever it was because of that. But when when uh, Obamacare passed and they had the the uh, the uh, Medicare, the Medicaid thing that they tried to impose on all the states, the Supreme Court said, no, that's, you know, by, by withholding Medicaid funds, unless you adopted these policies, the Supreme Court said, no, that's unduly coercive on the states. So we don't have a clear legal framework when the federal government can impose things on states. It's not as simple as everybody thinks it is. And I just want to make that point. Um, well, so can along those... Do you think that he was talking about Katzenberg, which is actually under the Commerce Clause, desegregation is bad for commerce and for um, and, and for trade in general. And that is actually based on the Commerce Clause. And it actually formed the framework of the um, government not being able to operate or, or, um, or work for or sublet any facility that has um, segregation as a central policy or any discrimination at all. So there's a whole separate class of that. And so traditionally, and this is a huge thing on the bar, is this idea of whether or not the when does the supremacy clause apply and how much can the states do um, that um, that is uh, overrides the um, the federal government jurisdiction. And usually it's basically like um, in things of education and stuff like that, then it doesn't count. Um, but if it has anything to do with discrimination at all, if it has anything to do with a pr- protected class, if it has anything to do with health and safety, um, it tends to be okay. But you're right. There are cases all over. And so you have to kind of uh, look at all of them and derive the general rule from what we have. 
we did this want, with the seatbelts, to... right? And and I'm sorry, Cheryl. We did yeah. this with the speed limits, the interstates, and seatbelts, right? I mean, uh, certain states chose not to take federal money for their interstates, and then yeah, but that was my they point. Didn't the Supreme 55. Court said there it's okay, in other cases it's not okay. So they they've been on both sides of that issue, depending on how they determine whether it's coercive on states. Well, the okay. I'm sorry, Cheryl. Go ahead. Yeah, let me let me ask American in the room a question. Why do you wear shoes? You wear shoes to protect your feet from dirt and potential hazard, right? So whether you wear a, a pair of slippers, sneakers, or boots, as long as there's protection, is good. And right now, when you're wearing mask, you're not just protecting yourself; you're protecting others. So it's a no-brainer, no-brainer. Just no. Well, Cheryl, um, the argument on the argument on 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 this half of it, okay, is that RSV can be caused by the bacterium that is basically kept in the mass of these kids. They keep using, it's a virus. Using, it's a virus. Well, you're, you're correct. But when, we, but when we talk about what these, these kids are, are being subjected to it because they've spent a whole year with masks on, going in and out of stores and all this other stuff, and now they're sitting in schools and their immune system is compromised. And so the doctors that I talk to that are in the South, that are in Texas and at the Methodist Hospital, which was the first to get the vaccines, is that that's where they think this is stemming from. So it's it's we're solving a problem and we're creating another problem at the same time. So so you can blame it on the fact that they weren't in school and and being exposed to it. Maybe it's a no. No, I, I apologize. This is this is not my declaration. I'm not declaring our, this our argument. But blaming so you know. it on masks specifically is you know flat Earth uh, science. That it's not flat. It's not flat Earth science. These these are the these are. I'm not here to argue with you about this and these these statements are true these these are happening and this is what they're stating a, a few doctors making a statement does not support, show evidence powered science and that is you that that you just hit spot on on what the problem is that we're having science has spoken on climate and on the science of these vaccines it, it, full stop full stop so the the, the 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 what's these the this is a, every everything in life unfolds in chapters that's just a truism the multiple chapters unfolding with covid and this global pandemic this next chapter of racing kids back to schools and actions like the governor DeSantis is doing you know when if i can we all have to pray and we we all are that nothing Nothing terrible is going to happen to, 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 to the children. If the children are going to see numbers like the seniors, expect at least a soft, expect at least a hard mandate on masks. And there's going to be a bunch of other social repercussions, I suspect, to, to, to those who have been um, on the page of using liberty and just absurd rationalizations. <clears throat> To, okay. to, uh, to not wear masks. We we'll see on. what happens. But if the, if the, okay, yeah, next okay. one. Sorry. Sky Sphere, a self-driving roadster that can change shape at the touch of a button. And you can see now the video of Audi's new Sky Sphere transforming car, where the length of the car actually changes and performs differently based on the length. It changes the length of the wheelbase even. It's quite remarkable. And there's now a video of it. And then... Uh, machine learning algorithm predicts schizophrenia risk by looking at specific parts of the human genome. Researchers are developing a machine learning algorithm 
called SPLS-DA to look for epigenetic markers for schizophrenia. The next is Facebook AI unveils something called UVO, a new data set to boost the AI research on open world segmentation, an important computer vision task of understanding objects that are not yet known. So it's um, <clears throat> tweeting this one out so that you can see it. And it's this is quite remarkable indeed. It's, you know, training AIs to understand things they don't yet understand. And... Um, a person or a, a balloon or the motions of the balloon or a dog. And I you know this is obviously applicable to uh, um, autonomous vehicles uh, most importantly, but it's useful in all kinds of cases. And Facebook is, uh, has a re- released a really interesting post all about what they call UVO um, unidentified virtual objects. So you can read all about it. Yes. I'm Tyler. I read about mm-hmm. that yesterday as well. Um, when you apply to like augmented reality and the wristband mm-hmm. that they're working on, one thing that they mentioned in their patent was the ability for the user to <clears throat> interact with an object in their environment. So this would actually help if they integrate this into the AR glasses because if a user approaches um, an unidentified object and that object has AR properties, um, the user will be able to either see the content or see the information according to that object. Um, so that's going to be a cool and very interesting application mm-hmm. in the future. So just a quick little thing. This is one of my specialties I was looking for ontologies. Um, but one of the key things about this is that uh, even if you don't have an exact uh, object, like like one thing you bring up here very often here on uh, Tyler and Tech News is that uh, what this is going to enable for you know e-commerce, when you see a brand of T-shirt and you can buy that specific brand of T-shirt, What's well, a lot more more powerful is the fact of that that detector is only going to basically succeed on that you know a small percentage chance of the time you're going to recognize the exact brand make and model that kind of thing. What's a lot more useful is going that person's wearing a T-shirt and by the way those are on sale at J.C. Penney just down the street or saying hey that looks like a brand of cup I don't recognize the brand but I know that you can basically buy that at the local Starbucks with you know they have great things you can fill in that cup. It's being able to actually identify the classes of objects where it becomes much more useful for, for a commerce perspective because you don't have to be perfectly right each time. You just have to get close. And that's where this kind of research becomes really, really valuable because being able to basically detect classes of objects or even if you're wrong, get pretty, pretty, you know, bright ballpark enough. So when you shove the data on there and say, hey, here's something that might be relevant getting something that's close enough to basically be useful in that overall experience and have it located in spatial transforms so it's visually pleasing as you're doing Okay, thanks for that. Next one, uh, according to Decrypt, the IRS won't go after Bitcoin miners regardless of the broker definition in the new U.S. infrastructure bill. The IRS reportedly won't apply the Senate infrastructure bill's definition of broker to Bitcoin miners, they're saying, which is really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, sure, we do IRS. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll risk. Uh... As much as you believe <laughs> us. Right? So the next one is from Mahogany uh, via Yahoo Finance that the EU to propose legislation on common mobile charger across Apple and Android and all. If you make smartphones, you're going to have to. 
20 years later, they're following, finally following through on the thread. This is like, this. They, they've been threading mm-hmm. this for decades, and now finally they're like, all right, screw it, we've had enough, we finally are going to have this, it's, it's the most asinine thing ever to basically go after antitrust things for. Now they're going to do it. Now only after everything else is on the table, it's like we can finally get the charger cable standardized. Because no, self-regulation, no, you, we thought you were going to play nice with USB, but nope, USB-C just didn't happen. It's still too many lightning, lightning, lightning cables around here. <laughs> So, yeah, it's essentially will force Apple to uh, adopt USB-C on their iPhones, essentially. Um, that seems like what's going to happen here because that seems everyone else is kind of standardized around USB-C except for Apple. So, Can I give a little bit of insight on the um, physical sure. layer of this? So the reason why Apple has been married to Lightning is they have a piece of hardware in the Lightning chip called the iOS authentication coprocessor. It costs oh, about yes. 45 cents. If they have to throw that 45 cent into the phone, that's why Apple's been doing lightning the entire time. It's to get people to pay the 45 cents for IAC instead of having only one IAC built into the phone. Oh, it's, if that it's makes even, any sense. It's even worse than this because essentially a lot of people wonder, like, how did Apple get so large? Well, one of their more lucrative business segments that they had for many years wasn't selling, like, iTunes and things like, you know, they can listen to music. What it was is creating the brand that says, hey, look, here's this amazing Apple product. It's Apple compatible because, uh, after all, if I buy the high-end stereo, I want to be compatible with my phone. Well, the thing is, in order to make your device Apple compatible because, you know, sh- shoving a fucking, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a headphone jack in there would be too, too, you know, you want the, you want that kind of quality. You want the highest end quality. Well, to get the highest end quality to make it so you can actually plug it into the actual dock there, that's going to require you to basically pay your Apple licensing tax. And the Apple licensing tax for having your brand thing that says it's Apple compatible, it will take a nice 30% of, of the, the revenues. And, oh, can we also have an equity stake in the company? Can we also have a percentage licensing for this? this? Oh, can we also get like, you know, uh, sign off on all of your marketing literature? And, oh, can we also, they do this for everyone. So essentially, they were using this as a hardware lock-in to basically lock in the business models because no company could launch and say, oh, we're only compatible with, like, you know, like three-fourths of the things in the market. But on the high-end side of the market, oh, yeah, I guess we can't get that as a thing. So they were using this to basically muscle around about everyone in the consumer electronics industry in order to do this. So whether or not they have that, that specific, you know, slightly broken Apple version it's just a repeat of what they do in every other part of their business. And they were very successful at that. And they start expanding it beyond just the music industry. And they start saying, well, do this for everything in tech. And now we have the Apple that we know and love today. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Apple. Okay. Um, here we go. Next up is the UAE, uh, their cloud seeding program that we covered, uh, made a lot of headlines two weeks ago when they were desperate for rain and they made it rain. And now this... Uh, cloud seeding nanomaterials testing in U.S. yields promising results. The the achievement raised the prospect over the rain generation process. Just tweeting that out from Faraz. (laughs) The next is also from Faraz. uh, The construction starts in Abu Dhabi of the world's largest vertical farm for research. 54,000 square feet facility will be the world's largest indoor vertical farm for reach and is projected to provide 60 jobs. And the next one is also from Froz in the UAE, where he's based. One million Arab coders initiative invites graduates to participate in a $1 million challenge. A jury comprising experts in coding technology and entrepreneurship for the UAE and abroad will select the 20 best 
projects and uh, Twitter reinstates accounts of India's um, main opposition party leader, Rahul Gandhi, and other opposition leaders. Gandhi criticized Twitter on Friday for blocking the account, saying the platform was playing partisan politics. But now they've restated his account and a perfect match at an animal shelter puts its lonely pets on Tinder. So um, there will be a whole, which obvious, but obviously not in China because that will not help the birth rate. But uh, a German animal shelter is trying a new approach to find homes for abandoned pets. It's posting their profiles on a dating app Tinder in hopes that they find lonely matches. And so you'll have a lot more. Well, hold on. By the way, why are they doing this for the dogs? If you basically have the dogs, and then you can basically find the dog owners, isn't that how a lot of couples meet? Yeah, up but anyways? if you have a dog, now you have a reason to go to the dog park, so it could work out. But I'm more worried about the cats. And Jesus Christ! All of these ideas I had like 20 years ago just materialized like way late. <laughs> I had this doggy dates thing because I had a dog I needed to find a date for. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hey, there, there, there may be a way of taking this to the next level if anybody's interested. Okay. Um, just real quick, that during World War II, they basically used like uh, chickens to essentially as targeting systems. There was some experimental things; they didn't get very far with them, but you know, punt, hunt and peck at the targets. Um, I'm working on transportation technology, and we've joked a lot internally about what happens if we could create like you know, animal-specific transportation systems. So if you know if the, if the chickens want to travel internationally, they can just you know, poke on their destination, and you know, it pod takes them right where they want to go i can only imagine essentially if they had dating services for all these random animals on top of that so they can you know you know find love internationally and you know go 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 help the pods they're just for them and go around the world essentially wherever they want to go as as they're basically finding finding true love you know why 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 should transportation be human-centric we don't need bird flu rapid transit no okay so the next few headlines here is china prepared to recognize taliban as kabul falls sources say um, the move comes at the expense of the U.S., which has held up the Taliban's international legitimacy as its remaining source of leverage. Um, the article continues, but that's from Faraz. These are all being tweeted. To, yes, Chris? Faraz yeah. is amazing. But to tell you, one thing to watch with Taliban, this is kind of a, a, a little known thing. If you actually look at, there's a list of uh, rankings of most powerful passports in the world, which you can basically look and say, you know, it's like if I have this passport, I can write visa free in all these countries. And, you know, almost no questions asked. I can do whatever the hell I want. I can stay for you know, huge long periods of time. It's all great. On the very bottom of the list, though, is a lot more interesting thing of the groups where literally if you're born in this country, you will die in this country. You can maybe ask for permission to go somewhere else, maybe stay for a week or two somewhere else and maybe some you know, Pacific Island group that doesn't really have a lot of foreign relations. But they're just going for the you know complete the list thing. But Afghanistan has, by definition, by many of these lists, the weakest passport in the world. If you live in if you are born in Afghanistan, you will die in Afghanistan with a very tiny number of exceptions. Now, the reason why this is interesting is China recognizing Taliban and normalizing relations. Historically, one of the one of the ways that that's basically demonstrated between different countries that they use is very, I would say petty, but it's very reciprocal on essentially arrangements on essentially how things are, are, are acknowledged. If you watch what happens to Taliban uh, to, to Afghanistan and Taliban controlled areas for the passports for whether or not they can travel to China, you can use that as a barometer for whether or not those relations are just like a surface level thing of China saying, please don't but blow up our oil pipelines or our rare earth minerals uh, mines we're going to be setting up here, or whether or not they actually want more of a longer term kind of arrangement. So just something to watch. Watch the, what happens to the passports. That'll be That's something interesting. interesting. This is the right. game theory. I'm sorry, Cheryl. Uh, no, I'm just saying, by the way, the Afghan president, Fred, 
uh, with a hel- helicopter with four cars full, full of cash and left his poor people behind, according to Russian. Okay. I was just going to put the context that this is the, the geopolitical game theory battles over Taiwan. The only, I mean, this is China recognizing Taliban in Afghanistan just to kind of counter the, how the U.S. recognizes Taiwan. Okay. The next one's up is uh, two planes report bright green UFO swooping through the clouds over Canada. A military plane may have had to swerve to avoid the mysterious object surveillance data shows. But this one's worth clicking on. Um, <clears throat> I just watched, uh, was it Real Genius last night with things where they were basically doing space-based lasers or whatever? I could just imagine essentially those green laser pointers, like they're just putting them on a little like little consumer, you know, $100 DJI drone, and now they're going, holy crap, look at this, we put a laser on the thing! So, the popcorn. Late on July 30, pilots of two popcorn. separate aircrafts, one military and one commercial, reported seeing a mysterious green UFO vanish into the clouds over the Gulf of St. Lawrence on the Atlantic coast of Canada. According to a report posted August 11th to the Canadian government's aviation incident database, both flights witnessed a bright green flying object that flew into a cloud then disappeared. The object did not impact the operations of either flight, the report noted. One of the aircrafts that reported the sighting was a Canadian military plane flying from a base in Ontario to Cologne, Germany. The passenger flight was a KLM Royal Dutch Airlines plane flying from Boston to Amsterdam. Stefan Watkins, an aviation and shipping researcher, looked at the transporter data from the two flights and saw that the military plane climbed 1,000 feet or 300 meters in altitude at the time of the sighting possibly to avoid the object or to get closer look at it. There's a chance the UFO could have been a meteor striking through the sky. Here's the quote. Yes, I know the UFO sighting would have been at the early stage of the parasite meteor shower, Watkins added, but don't, but don't be a buzzkill. The Canadian Aviation Report tagged the incident with a catch-all label, weather balloon, meteor, rocket, UFO, not ruling out a space rock as a possible culprit. Unlike the U.S. Defense Department, Canada's Department of National Defense does not track UFO sightings. A department spokesperson says, uh, still, there is no shortage of civilian enthusiasts north of the border. In December 2019, a private collector donated more than 30,000 UFO-related documents to the University of Manitoba at Winnipeg, including scores of documents on the Falcon Lake incident, Canada's most famous UFO case. Meanwhile... You know what's going to be really cool? Mm. In the near future... Weird sensors are getting so freaking cheap. There's been a lot of work, especially with like the stuff. Imagine essentially with VR, essentially, you've got like, you know, 4K worth of like, you know, sensors, like just feeding in ca- calibration data for these things constantly. Now, imagine a larger version with actual data processing on a freaking like you know, uh, on a freaking airplane as a normal operation. Just carpet the sides of these things with cameras. You're going to start seeing this because it becomes one of like a why not. In the same way where LEDs, when China figured out how to make them cheaply and they start making strip, strips of these lighting things, we start putting LEDs on everything, whether or not it actually needed to have them. It's just, why the hell not? It's just a thing. And, you know, GCG data, I guess, we'll figure out what to do with it later. The more computer vision you have with it, maybe you can figure out something to do with it later. But it's just like, eh, I don't know. Just throw it in as a strip, as a sensor strip. It's a generic sensor strip. 
you're going to start seeing these sorts of things applied to aircraft. And it's going to basically have some very strange things for all these UFO sightings because it's not going to be a, whether or not someone grabbed their cell phone or whether or not you know something was like you aimed a certain way. It's just going to be this persistent, basically, sensor space that's whenever you have a flying object, you're going to have all the other flying objects able to have so much data on these things. Um, I, I don't know if that's actually going to solve any conspiracy things, but it's going to make them a lot more entertaining when we basically look at the footage. Yeah. Uh, the next one is from Fast Company. The unspoken reasons employees don't want remote work to end. Sure, they have more time and productivity, but there's also deeply personal reasons employees don't want to go back to work as it was is the headline. And one of the reasons they say is that people are starting to nap during the day and they don't want to give that up. Although I used to do that at the office. And I'd like to give up my raise for remote work. Uh, I'm in recovery. I don't want to give up my side hustle is another interesting reason. So just tweeting that one out to the Tech News Twitter account. One more throwing out. If you basically have multi-billion dollars worth of basically real estate investments that are basically pivoting precariously on all these like, you know, PPP loans that weren't entirely all that when you started... And then you're like, okay, I need to get these people back in the office to justify all these things. Now imagine if you've got those hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars of asset bubble and all the other things behind it, maybe some sovereign wealth things in to make it extra spicy. And then people are saying, I'm not sure if we really need offices anymore. Like hell, you're going to sit on the sidelines and wait for people to basically make up their minds about that. The amount of PR that's being deployed, the amount of think pieces, the amount of social psychologists that are getting suddenly large paychecks to give very well-informed opinions saying people really physically need to be in the office and basically in a cubicle. If they're not in, a, if they're not in the office, then they're me missing part of their humanity. Yeah, those people get a lot of money right now, and they, you are going to see so much more of those the more that people are, are looking at when the rent is due and whether or not those leases are up all about the same time. You're going to see a lot more articles about that, even more than you've seen so far. Apparently, that's actually the reason that Goldman was uh, driving people back into the office. They, they like it, It's the real estate investment they need to fill buildings. Mm. Yep. So the next one... Alex, I would say Goldman's doing that and the Wall Street firms are doing that, particularly for traders, because when you're doing trading, the kind of trading that they do, you want people in the same room. It actually makes a difference. And I've made that point before. So I'm not sure it's just driven by real estate. This, we this could... is exactly like like the the, the reluctance to, to stop uh, pumping oil because of the all of the assets that would have to be written down. It's just a you know a financially driven calamity. Okay. For, well, for the Goldman, uh, that... I actually read that. I'm sorry, whoever was speaking. It, it, I just read that that was actually um, like it was one of those like you know a um, like a an insider uh, anonymously quoted that it was you know like yeah we have to get bodies back in these buildings. So that's why I said okay. it. This is this is Rob, and this is relating to wealth companies. Beyond what you talk about property, uh, yeah, there's a business side, but I think there's a privacy side too, and I, I think we should be very concerned by having wealth management people or people who manage accounts with everybody's personal information operating out of their homes. The employee may be sound, but that does not mean that their spouse or their teenage kid is too. And the or discussions their people, or their computer, but the discussions that they're having 
is very sensitive. So uh, yes, I like decentralization. Yes, I like that people are getting more of their life back, but there's a lot of personal information floating out there. that should Having be. a security review where you actually could pay for people to have actual secure communication environments as a normal thing in housing things, that would be amazing. I mean, for the amount of money that we're blowing on all these empty office buildings, we could be paying for every house to basically have a secure communication thing. You know, it's not that hard to set these things up. I mean, you see what the president does when they go traveling. They set these little, like, you know, things for the tent when so he can discuss, like, nuclear secrets with things. The actual proofing you have to do to actually make a secure communication environment on the go for like having your own little uh, 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 thing is not that ridiculous. Um, and I think that essentially if you mass produce those things, yeah, I, I don't know why only the president should have that sort of thing. It's not that expensive. Secured stuff is great, but that does not, um, that does not mean that somebody's spouse or significant other doesn't walk into their secured room too. So there's yeah, a lot it's of just, it's one component. It's one component. You know, have, having having actual security is not just a, it is rarely a civil or bullet, but, but just having that general thesis of that. People do not value security and value privacy and value these things to the degree that they're willing to make actual financial allocations of capital for it. And so having that more of something that can actually spread as a cultural value, that is going to have the long-term value that essentially can have the benefits, not just for wealth managers, but for all society. So Robert, I, I strongly approve of what you're saying with that, just having, having that as a strong consideration for where people build their stuff. That'd, that'd be amazing. Okay. Um, next article here is... Uh high salary remote work opportunities explode as companies rethink working from home is the headline from Forbes. If you're looking for a remote work opportunity that pays at least a hundred thousand, you've never had a better chance. And uh, yeah, that's the headline from Forbes. And then Twitter has a huge um, collection of live t tweets of videos coming out of Kabul uh, scenes from Kabul, Afghanistan on the first day of Taliban rule is this kind of, I don't know how to tweet out this collection. I think it says copy. Oh, it does say tweet this. Okay. I'm tweeting it. There it goes. So it's a, and a it's called a Twitter event where Twitter itself aggregates all kinds of content from around uh, a related theme, which in this case is scenes from Kabul, Afghanistan on the first day of Taliban rule. And it shows, um, a lot of journalists going around capturing photos and videos of shop owners closing their stores, waiting to ask approval from the Taliban to reopen their stores because they're worried they'll be punished. If they, you know, And then <coughs> scenes of owners taking down pictures of women from beauty salons, tailor shops, and plastic surgery centers for fear of being punished by the militants. Some TV channels replacing soap operas with Islamic shows and etc. in video footage now that they're entering the city and starting to patrol the city internally. Um, so you can see. Yes. Tyler, can I sure. chime in here? Uh, I've, I've tweeted out two videos, one on Sky News from one of my staff mm -hmm. members, Dr. May, and also Women's BBC Women's um, mm -hmm. Hour. And But basically, it's not just the general thing we're talking There are also minorities who live in Afghanistan who are now fearful and they're in hiding. Mm -hmm. uh, and she comes from a, a group called the Hazara. Uh, and and, and I, because I, she works, uh, she did her PhD with me and is working in Mirzaim now. Uh, uh, it's frightening what's happening to her. And she came to England uh, when she was 13. Uh, last time there was a refugee crisis right uh, age 13 didn't speak english 
and look what she's turned out to be. She was the under 30 uh, woman of Birmingham and then um, did a PhD uh, and is uh, helping drive the agenda of Mirzan to make preeclampsia history within this decade. So we're, we have a duty of care to people we'll, we've, who we've left there. And, and I think our, our government and your government needs to take care of that. This has been a crazy 24 hours. So the the next one is from USA Today. NFL stars Trent Williams, Fred Warner seek to score big by investing in Silicon Valley tech startups. NFL pro bowlers uh, are also looking to score off the field with potential investments in Silicon Valley tech startups. So everybody becoming angel investors. <clears throat> and BlackRock forms long-term partnership with the... Um, UAE, or which is the, not Dubai, but the Abu Dhabi's Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is Mubadala Capital. The asset manager led a $1.2 billion transaction that includes the acquisition of certain assets from Mubadala's capital's debut private equity fund. And Coindesk ranks the currencies that could unseat the global dollar. The dollar's share of global reserve has declined steadily for years. Will the euro, yuan, or Bitcoin take its place? in the center of global finance. And do they give the answer in their blog post? Oh, they make arguments for why each of those could potentially, uh, the, the ones that, in, oh, and the final tally. So in the latest analysis, who's the biggest dollar's rival? Short answer, who do you think Coindesk picked as the likely replacer of the US dollar? Could it possibly it's be not. Bitcoin from Coinda? Yes. No way. Yes, really? really? Wow. Dogecoin? No. The Ethereum? I didn't hear a question. RMD. No. Digital, Digital dollar. Paper towel? Paper towels? No. <laughs> Thailand coin. Did someone say Euro? They say the euro. Surely not. Short answer, the euro. It's already the strong second place to the dollar and built on a legacy of relative... No way. Isn't it Japanese? This is Coindesk, says the the short answer, based on all of them, their conclusion is the euro. I'll tweet it out now for your convenience. No way. Yeah, ranking... The the headline is ranking the currencies that could unseat the the global dollar. Just tweeted that out. Walmart is hiring a digital currency and crypto product lead, just like Amazon. There you go. That would be very interesting if they should both choose. Those are two of the biggest e-commerce and in Walmart's case, one of the the largest uh, retailer in America. So if they both were to go in the same direction. Wow. What if they what if they coordinated and they both. Yeah. Do you think. Do you think they would pay their employees in this coin? That's a great question. Because those two, those two are the two largest employers in America as well. So you'd have, they have about a million people each. That's about 2 million Americans right there alone. That's a wild thought. And then, there, um, yeah. Oh, um, so uh, Walmart set itself up a couple of years ago to be um, a rival of Amazon's. 
So I wouldn't, I mean, I, they've had actually blockchain in their company for at least, I think, six years. They did an internal um, Walmart supply chain with blockchain, which is actually, I mean, they're basically a supply chain company. And, um, and they, so their inventory management now is run on blockchain, um, which is actually working really well for them. I think they did it off of IBM's Hyperledger. Um, and, uh, but I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised because Amazon just came out with, you know, they want a crypto person. Um, and I don't know if they're focusing primarily on accepting crypto as opposed to building a crypto based product. Um, but, uh, whatever they're doing, it looks like Walmart wants to do it too, because they've set out, like they, they changed all of their distribution strategy so that they could be a solid competitor to Amazon. It seems to be working on in, in some areas, right. In some, in some spaces, it seems to be okay. working. Especially food. Alrighty. Uh, Microsoft researched to open AI lab in Amsterdam led by renowned Dutch scientist, um, uh, Max Welling. And Ken has the last article of the day from Zoom. Zoom, uh, Zoom iOS app sends data to Facebook, even if you don't have a Facebook account. <laughs> so uh, they, they can't get enough of your data in one way or another. So we'll pause there and join Heyman in the Tech News Canada room, which is still ongoing. So please meet us over there and join us again tomorrow. Thank, Thank you. you. Right, well done, Tyler. Nice Thank job. Bye, guys. Eat up. Ciao. interests in that, yeah. uh, given the not only the natural, rich natural resources which which China needs, um, but also uh, they uh, there's a natural sort of uh, uh, sympathy um, between the uh, people of East Turkestan, uh, Uyghurs, uh, Kazakhs, um, Uzbeks and so on, who are predominantly Muslim, and mm-hmm. uh, people of Afghanistan who are also predominantly Muslim. Oops, so sorry. It seems like a bit of an end run that China is doing to uh, prevent any, that sort of alliance uh, that could potentially form uh, to be able to help uh, the people in uh, East Turkestan or Xinjiang province, as uh, China refers to it, uh, um, to be able to uh, sort of uh, improve the, the the right situation for those people there. But certainly, uh, given the sort of the history of the, of the Taliban, especially in, in, in recent years, um, it does not uh, bode well for just general uh, quality of life uh, and, uh, and rights of people in Afghanistan. Uh, it remains to be seen who engages with this new regime and uh, what kind of influence uh, they can bring to bear in order to... Uh, trying to make sure there's some stability and uh, in peace uh, for the people in Afghanistan who really should be our, our first. uh, Yeah. I was, I was hope I I was considering, not hoping, but I was considering inviting a friend's uh, relative who's actually quite um, active on the internet to possibly chime in. But I realized I don't know what the internet situation is there and I don't want them to get into trouble in the early stages. Um, so until things settle down, maybe, and, if you, and plus there's already, already other sources to get that information. So I'd rather have the, her, her and her relaying me the information than getting yeah. whatever person in trouble at this point. Hey man, I, I just pulled up uh, the official Canada, Canadian government's um, press release on Afghanistan. Oh yeah, please. Um, just going through this. So Canada just announced a plan on the 13th to resettle 20,000 uh, vulnerable, vulnerable uh, Afghanis uh, threatened by the Taliban. 
That's um, like 200,000 in American terms. Sorry. Yeah. Conversion rate. <laughs> There's a conversion, definitely. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm just looking through the list. Um, you know, they're prioritizing, of course, women, women leaders, human rights advocates, LGBTQ yeah. um, individuals, journalists, and immediate family members of people residing in Canada. Uh, but there's a special program for government, for Afghanis um, who assisted Canada in different uh, projects, especially the press. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the interesting things I, uh, is also there. The, the government has a partnership uh, with um, with a particular foundation that has been helping resettled, persecuted Afghan Sikhs and Hindus. Mm-hmm. So Afghanistan has a huge community of non-Islamic uh, uh, indiv- um, uh, communities, and they are definitely at risk with with the Taliban in place. So if you remember with ISIS, um, you know ISIS went uh, after a lot of. Um, Non non Islamic uh, communities that live uh, in in regions in, in Iraq and and, and Syria, uh, the similar situations are possible with uh, in Afghanistan. So that's the potential human rights concerns here. That's great. Um, and also, one thing I noticed early on this was yesterday when I was trying to post something on the fact that uh, female Afghani bank employees were losing their jobs as the Taliban was advancing. Um, I started writing the story and then all of a sudden I noticed, like, you know what, I put the hashtag, you know, as soon as I put the hashtag, guess what the the top uh, hashtag options came up were? They said Kunduz and then it said, we stand with the Taliban and then India behind Afghan war. Uh, and so I was surprised, like, why would that come up? And then I realized, oh, wait a second, troll farms and all this other crap that's coming up. Tyler, you, you've been talking about this for a while. And it's just that I think there's a huge media campaign uh, definitely that's already been launched by friends of the Taliban, let's put it that way, who would uh, basically uh, claim that, you know, Taliban's the official government as soon as they got to Kabul, right? That was announced uh, prior to them even getting to Kabul. Um, so it's it's already a campaign on the, from the tech, of putting some tech spin to this story as well. It's already happening in social media. And I was surprised. I just immediately CC'd the, the copy of it to uh, Twitter support and all that stuff because it was really weird to see that hashtag floating more popular than the other stories yeah i mean there's also a lot of domestic uh, politics that come into play um, particularly in india um where there are uh you know troll farms and in, in political um entities trying to fuel uh um, tensions between um sort of the ethnic or, or religious uh, majorities and minorities there so uh, yeah this is this is definitely something that uh is another complicating factor, um, not just uh, obviously for Afghanistan itself, but uh, for other countries um, in the region in particular. But uh, you know, we got we got to sort of hopefully we see some. It's early days right now. It's early hours even. Uh, yeah, hopefully exactly. we see some positive uh, movement yeah. uh, and some positive uh, uh, statements. And, I think they've uh, also action. tempered their uh, messages too, right? The uh, Afghani group. I mean, the Taliban group has been very very careful about their wording as well. And I, I think they know that, again, there was also this discussion I just stumbled into. It was on, uh, I forget which, it was independent media. It was not uh, one of the mainstreams, but they were talking about the fact that, you know, uh, the fact that the U.S. is sort of pulling out this way uh, could be that they already have some sort of an agreement with the Taliban saying that don't fuck it up, basically, right? Just that, uh, you know, just ma- yeah. basically make sure that you do it. Sorry, go ahead. They were engaged. Yeah, I was going to say they were engaged in um, negotiations in Qatar before all of this, and so yeah. uh, you know they have been engaging um, on a world stage, uh, and ultimately, um, as a 
uh, as a now governing power, um, they have to kind of uh, play ball with everybody else. Uh, they need industry, they need uh, trade, um, and you can't run a country successfully um, without being part of uh, the sort of the, the global community. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you know, I'm I'm not um, I'm not being naive, but I I am hopeful that yeah. the realities of governing and the realities of running a country um, can uh, temper um, some of the things we've seen in the past, and hopefully uh, build toward a brighter future for the people of Afghanistan, rather than you know sort of the the, the bloodshed and and, uh, um, and and a lot of the the fear uh, and uh, and you know, other sort of like the end rights problems that we have seen in the past. Uh, again, it's it's early days, um, but hopefully. You know, at least they have been engaged to some degree on the world stage, uh, and hopefully that continues in a positive direction, rather than um, so what we've seen in the past. And also, uh, there was another uh, quote that I came across was, uh, I think it was Adam Smith, uh, he's an economist, right? Uh, well, yeah. Um, so he basically said that you could rule a country by the sword, or you could rule them with debt. So we know what one country is using. Um, so I think that's where it's headed because already Ch- uh, well, well, I'm saying China, basically. So that's what it is. Um, so basically Pakistan's right now fully under the control of China. Um, pretty much the economy is like pretty much theirs. Um, and they've already taken over major infrastructure projects over there. Um, and Afghanistan's the next step and they already have ties with Iran. So this is a final piece for them in that I would think if I was a strategy guy, I would definitely think this is a beautiful piece for them to put into that belt and road initiative. And that's why I was like really puzzled when this piece fell out of place. But then again, looking into all the details, I think we should start. Like, I'm not sure whether there's been a really deep Afghani room that's been going on, but um, there have been, there have been some yeah, exactly. Yeah, presume. Currently, right now, in there. Are you are you cheating on us then? What? Jasper, uh, so I'm just I'm just perplexed because there seems to be a disconnect. Like, if you want to solve issue, you have to yeah. ask a realistic question, you know. And and yeah. and the, the mod, and I understand that you have to. I'm very empathetic of the people and what's happening. It's yeah. it's so sad what's happening, but like at the same time, you have to keep in mind that on the Europeans' perspective of what's happening, I feel like like what what the French did. Jasper, Jasper, one second. Do you mind actually taking, uh, I mean, we're not, you're not, you're clear, but it's not clear enough. It'll be great to hear what you're saying clearly because you're saying great stuff here. I'm just wondering whether you could adjust anything there or take your microphone while it's off. Is that that better? That's way better. Thank you. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, because I'm trying to really find a solution. And now, uh, and, and I was thinking that the disconnect of the, of the room is that they're not asking real questions, such as to be fair to what's happening. Like, the perspective of the European is that if the French, for example, if these people back then in history wanted to keep their de- democratic um, uh, 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 um, rights, you know what they did? They, they went all out for it. And, and to be fair, when these people are asking about, and you know, don't uh, I'm just not very um, diplomatic on my on, on my on my language, because um, you know I'm a business major. So, I, but 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 to be fair, uh, the question that they're asking is that like you know it's expensive. I see the perspective of why the U.S. would go because the Americans are, are, are spending millions of dollars every day, and and at the same time there are you know there have been 
businesses and people that that, that those millions of dollars have been helping. But at the same time, it's um, it's expensive, you know. But 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 that's what I think to 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 the Western perspective. Why I think there's not as much um, um, a spotlight in the issue is that. I think to an extent what is seeing not as much an effort to defend for, for these people. And for me, that's kind of the disconnect. Like why, why, why isn't there as much effort? Like I understand that, that people are fearful probably of, of, of this terrorist group coming in, you know, and I get that. Well, but let's not call them, let's, let's be careful with calling them terrorist group because I think we have to realize that they will be a nation ruler right now. Right. And they've been there. They're not technically there. It's their, it's technically their land. So, I mean, I've always worried about labeling them because then you can bring them to peace tables. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I see. Just I be see careful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see. But like, uh, but it's not my words. Hey man, there are, Afghan Afghani people right, under right, talking that they're they're yeah. that they're seeing these people as terrorists and and for them it's actually a real issue if you're putting them the the, the Taliban in the group without the Afghan uh, presidency for them for these Afghani people it, it's creating a problem for them because for them it, it's kind of disregarding the the government that was created. That, that that was there and and i see the concern and, and what they're saying for them they, they label these people terrorist group like it's not even me yeah. and also jasper one more thing is like if we look back at the history i'm not again i'm looking at it from a neutral sort of perspective and a canadian so i don't know the intimacy so i'm gonna like if you look at who the friends uh who which friends the americans chose when they uh they sort of took over afghanistan at that time they chose like the warlords the militia and everyone else, right? To and basically uh, said the Taliban no, right? They so that's the that was one mistake. The same thing they did with uh, is Iraq. They chose this guy who said that he could help them uh, save uh, the U.S. Right? They chose this guy who was not a big guy, but he basically lobbied and got himself into the positions of power in the U.S. and got their years to say that look, once you uh, get into Iraq, I will come and. Uh, bring all the Iraqi people to me and they will support me and I'll create a great government. He's nobody, right? He just, it was a great market. You're talking about. Thank you. Yeah. And the same I, thing, I, I mean, so and, hang on, yeah, we're, we're yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, off the rails here. Yeah, we are. We are. Like we're kind of, I mean, this is, this is tech news and we're, we're kind of getting off the rail. We, we Thanks for sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, but just, just to sort of give some, some historical context here, I, I am a journalist and I've, you know, edited news. And I have many uh, colleagues who have reported from the front lines um, in Afghanistan, going back to the days of the Soviet invasion in the 1970s. Um, so there's a Soviet, just a very quick recap. There's a Soviet invasion in the 1970, uh, um, The United States ended up funding uh, 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 militia groups and rebel groups to fight the, uh, the Soviet invasion, um, called the Mahajadeen. The U.S. ended up pulling out after this, the uh, Soviets pulled out of Afghanistan um, and then kind of left people to their own devices. In the early days, um, the, the, all these weapons and groups, they sort of had uh, their own fights for power. Um, it ended up leading to a very lawless land uh, the, where you know, people couldn't go outside without being in fear of their lives. Um, the Taliban, uh, in the early days, they swept through, they brought some order, and they were welcomed by the, both by the U.S. Uh, and the global community. Um, um, and then uh, as they, they gained more power, um, their, their focus and emphasis changed. Uh, we had a, another uh, uh, reinvasion uh, of Afghanistan after 9-11, um, and then it's been 20 years of, 
of international Western involvement um, in Afghanistan, trying to help establish a government there with the part of the U.S. Uh, now we see Taliban resurgent. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, um, it seems like they are getting um, some help from China because the, you know, the analysis is that there's no way they would have been able to uh, sweep through the country this fast um, mm -hmm. without some kind of outside assistance. And they did, in fact, meet with uh, China uh, again, as I noted, three weeks ago. Um, so that's the, the quick uh, one minute recap. Um, there's a lot of yeah. a lot more nuance to it. But I think the key thing we have to remember here is that there are millions of people in Afghanistan who are, you know, fearful because they don't know what's going to happen. Um, the Taliban have been engaging on a, on a global stage um, in recent years. Uh, and just the realities of running a country, we can hope that, uh, you know, the negotiations and the engagements that they have had um, with multiple countries um, bear some fruit and helps to bring some stability and peace to the region, which has been, um, you know, racked by war since the 1970s. Thank uh, you. So yeah. I think we should leave that there. No, that's um, great. And also on a, a tech news part, the, you know, the female Afghan tech entrepreneurs, the Somia, Somia Faruqi, uh, she and her team uh, basically created the the low cost ventilators. Uh, they actually were uh, hailed for their work in Afghanistan. Just kids, basically, right? 18, 14, between 14 and 18. Right. So, Captain of the Afghan Girls Robotics Team. That's right. Afghan Girls Robotics Team. Yes. Uh, the Afghan Dreamers, as they were nicknamed. Uh, they gave themselves, actually. Afghan Dreamers, the name they gave themselves. All five girls are age 14 to 18 and attend different high schools in Herat. And every day after school, they would meet for an hour and a half and learn and practice programming and robotics. And they did some amazing, I mean, for what they had, they did some amazing stuff and they were uh, hailed. But now people are trying to figure out where they are and whether they've been able to get out or not, or whether they're in trouble. So this is, uh, and bringing it back to the tech part, these are young, some very promising young ladies um, who are working on this. Heyman, yeah, if you don't mind, like that's one of the reasons why I, I brought this one because it's so sad. Like being in that room, there are pe real people on the ground that are really worried about, you know, they, they're saying that they were teachers before and there's a lot of girls in there. And now they're saying that, you know, they're worried about becoming a sex slave now. It's just, it's so sad w w when you see it in, in that way. And, and yeah. you know, there's 